Hey, good to have you on the podcast. Good to be able to talk to you today. Hardy, it's a privilege of mine. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So uh, could you please tell our audience a little bit more about yourself, your company, and everything that you're involved in? Okay, sure. Yeah, Jeff Hager. I'm the founder and CEO of Big Elk Energy Systems in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, started the company in October of 2014. Uh, our company is fairly dependent upon the energy sector. And we started one month before energy crashed and we went into the longest and deepest downturn in a generation. And everybody kept telling me, uh, you know, well, that's, that's great because, you know, you'll learn a lot. And I thought, you know, that's, that's, you obviously haven't been through this. If you just say, great, you know, it's only great if you survive and we survived Hardy, uh, you know, thank God. And, um, you know, we're here six years later and it has been the trial of my life. Um, this, this whole process. So, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell. I'll tell you real quick where the name comes from. I get that one a lot. And I just, uh, I don't look at, um, I'm a quarter, uh, Osage, uh, native Indian. And, uh, my, my grandmother was full blood Osage and my third great grandfather, my great, great, great grandfather on my mother's side was a chief of the Osage tribe during the settlement time period of Oklahoma. His name was open Tonga, which is translated big elk. So the name of the company was a way to pay homage to that heritage. And anyway, I'm just glad to be here, Hardy. <laughs> awesome. So uh, before we talk about business success and all uh, and so on and so forth, um, my audience, they love to hear like personal stories. So could you share with us like, um, yeah, how did you get into business, entrepreneurship and and, and so on and so forth? Sure. You know, I think I had it instilled. I didn't, I didn't really consider myself uh, an entrepreneur. Um, but my, my father, I realized later in life was really an entrepreneur. He started a men's clothing store in a teeny tiny town that I grew up in very small, only uh, 3,500 people. And um, he started that clothing business and, you know, ran it successfully for many, many years. And so I think maybe it was uh, maybe in my blood a little bit more than I realized. But um, my dad went on to serve in um, politics. He was the House of Representatives member uh, from our our district, our community. And he did that for 10 years. And I, I, I developed a great passion for that to the extent that I thought that was my path. And um, but, you know, one time when I was when I was considering going down that path, my father coached me saying, you know, you can, that, that's always going to be available there in life if you want to go down that road. But if you will first um, invest yourself in the private sector, um, do something to create jobs and benefit people's lives. And then if you ever want to do something later on, you'll be able to, um, yeah, it'll be, you will have done something people can believe in and you're not just all talk, you know? And so, uh, I've done my best. I've done my best Hardy. I, there's, I, so many times I find myself hanging by a thread. Um, so many times, you know, been in a hundred percent risk, uh, situation. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for me, faith is a major component. Um, I, I, I love my parents. They were also pastors in the small community I grew up in. And so that, that was always been a big part of my life and, and has been kind of a driver through all of the difficult seasons of life. 
about it and um and and what was the story or what is the story behind like you actually starting your own business because um there are a lot of people that are listening to this that are already like very very successful with their business but there are also a lot of people that are listening who want to start a business and um, they're maybe like afraid to take the first step and uh yeah maybe you could share your story sure. with us Well, they should be afraid to take the first step. <laughs> uh, I would say so. Right? Uh, yeah. Fear. Fear is very real. And it's a great driver. Yeah. Well, I, I, so I, I was an engineer by uh, trade out of school. And then as I got into my professional career, um, I, I became more and more involved in commercial uh, portions of the business. And I was working for a, a large publicly traded company. Um, and it was experiencing a lot of turnover at the executive level. And it was just, it, it became very difficult, difficult environment to manage. And, uh, I don't know, Hardy, I can just tell you that I could take you to the spot in the hallway that I was walking <laughs> in after a particularly bad management meeting. And I can, I can still envision it right now in my mind's Talk eye. about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was the spot. It was the spot. And uh, I'm just going to be completely honest. I mean, I don't know if, uh, how spiritual of a person you are, but for me, like it was a moment where I felt like God spoke to me because in my heart, I was, I was completely consumed with the idea that what I was supposed to do was to start my own business. And um, oh. I was just overwhelmed with it. And, and that was really a moment for me. And so I began, I began right then trying to figure out what it would take because um, I didn't know anything. I, I mean, I, you know, like a lot of people, I, I thought I might know something. Turns out I didn't know anything. Um, but, you know, ignorance is bliss sometimes. Really, what, what matters is if in your heart you believe in yourself and you believe that you have what it takes to get something going and you've got to have an endless drive. I mean, there has to be no end to your drive um, because you're going to be faced with so many, so many points in time where, I mean, I can think of points in time where every close person I had told me I should give up. That's a yeah. tough spot. Like <laughs> I can I, relate to that. <laughs> right. I mean, I've got, yeah. I've got people that really love me and, uh, and they were telling me, are you sure that this is what you're supposed to be doing? Because all the signs said that I needed to give up and, and I didn't. So you got to have that thing on the inside that just keeps going. I totally agree with that. And I think this is especially very, very important to consider for our audience because um, most people that are listening to this are in their 20s and a couple of them are in their early 30s. And um, I think there's like a big trend on social media where like basically everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but I think there's nothing wrong with having just a completely normal like nine to five job or uh, working as a freelancer or as an artist. So I think... Um, Yeah, it's really important to 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 make sure that you're in it for the right reasons and that someone who wants to become an entrepreneur, that they really think deeply about it. Like, do they have what it takes? Do they want to learn? Um, are they willing to face fail failure? And uh, yeah, it's got to be a part of your DNA. Yes. I mean, I, I don't think you just wake up one day and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, start a business. I mean, it, it's, it's got to be a part of your internal wiring and yeah. you absolutely have to be in it for the right reasons for sure. Yeah. And um, so how did you personally started your business? Like, uh, yeah. 
Sure. And and, well, and 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 were you like starting um, Big Elk as your first company, or did you you started uh, a couple of other businesses beforehand? Right. No, I did not. Big Elk was it. I I was a oh. company. I was a company guy. I worked for. Uh, I worked for um, a company for about ten years. That was a, a, a what we call a local business partner for a large. Well, behemoth company. In fact, you might even be familiar with it, Emerson, um, mm. and did that for about ten years. And then, then I went to work for, in essence, a client uh, that was also a large publicly traded company. And I did that for two years. And no, Hardy, from that, from that position, uh, I started Big Elk. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, Let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was trial of a lifetime, and still is. Still is. I mean, it's. It's been. If you look at. 80 plus years of the pipeline energy business um, and you wanted to, and you got a six year span and you can slide that six years up and down that 80 year scale. And you wanted, your goal was, I want to find the six worst years possible to be in business in this 80 year span. It's the six years we've been in business. I mean, we, we, we should not be here. And, uh, and I, I look forward to telling some of those stories as we go along here. So yeah, let me tell you about, about getting it started. So, um, you know, my wife and I, uh, we, you know, we were good stewards with our money, but ne neither of us came from wealthy families. Um, so we didn't have any, we didn't have any family wealth. Um, all we had was just what we saved from, you know, living below our means. And so we had saved for a number of years, but, you know, I'm talking about saving, a couple hundred thousand dollars, uh, not millions of dollars. And the business that I wanted to start would take millions. Um, we build really, really large equipment. Um, it's uh, they're just real quick. I'll just say th these are big cash register systems. Okay. So they, they manage the buy sell transaction between two energy companies. It's very similar uh, to the, like, I don't know if you have natural gas as a utility gas to your residence, but if you do, and so, many of your listeners will, um, there's a box on the side of your residence that that is a meter and it measures how much you're consuming. And each month you get invoice based on how much you consume. We build the same thing, except on a much larger scale. Um, whereas you're at your home, you know, it might be you know, in U.S. dollars, we'd say, you know, three to eight dollars a day worth of utility gas. Our systems will be about half a million to several million dollars a day. So they're just really large. Well, this equipment you can't build in a small place. You have to have a big facility for it. And so I went to go look for facilities. There's there's not a lot of facilities to build that type of equipment. So, you know, I found a facility that would be uh, perfect in my mind. You know, it spoke to me. I remember walking this property where I'm sitting right now uh, in 2013 and uh, it had been vacant for five years. And I thought, this is it. This is where we're supposed to be. But the property by itself cost $3 million. You know, I didn't have that kind of money. So I would have to get an investor or investors. And I didn't, man, uh, you know, Hardy, when someone said the, the phrase to me, PE, all I could think of was physical education from grade school. You know, I didn't know. <laughs> Got it. I, yeah. I didn't know. You were like familiar with the terminology of like investing. And, exactly. Yeah. 
I didn't know. I, I was a I was a technical <laughs> guy by trade. I'd learned some sales and business, but I was never in high finance, so I didn't know private equity. Yeah, I had I had none of those people. M and A, yeah, exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. So I had to go figure that out, and I had I had one buddy who was an investment broker, and he said, "Hey, I think I can connect you to some people that may be able to fund your deal." And um, I thought, "Oh, this is." This is perfect. Yeah, you know, this is this is what we'll do. And crazy enough, and and and, 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 and sorry to interrupt, but but yeah. w- w- for for everyone who is listening to this, uh, could you like please explain again, like what was the business model for? Uh, yeah, what what was like the exact business model? Like how are you able to drive revenue in and so on and so? Forth? Oh sure, yes. Yeah, so we're a manufacturing bu- business. I mean, so the 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 business model was. Um, was really a manufacturing models. And so, you know, my intent was to um, hire professionals that I knew in that had expertise in operations, production, quality, all these types of things for the equipment that I already knew, already knew that that was the space I was in before starting the business as is often the case, you know, so, cause you, you know, you tend to get in business to something that you already know about, and this is what I knew. And, um, And so our clients would be large energy companies who need to purchase these big systems every time they are connecting to another energy entity for the purpose of buying and selling. That's how they make money. And mm-hmm. so we make the equipment that allows our clients to bill and to have a revenue stream. And our revenue stream comes from the sell of these uh, highly technical manufactured products. Is that mm-hmm. is that? answer your question, Marty? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, um, so it was a go big or go home strategy. Uh, I knew what we wanted to do. Uh, I knew that we had to have a big facility and I knew it was going to take a lot of money. Um, I thought it would take about seven or eight million to get the business started. Uh, I was wrong. That number should have been 10 or 12. Um, but you know, you don't know until you try. So uh, I'm trying to get this property first. The you know, first thing I got to get is a place, you know, a place for all of us to reside. And uh, anyway, so I've got a I've got a buddy. He connects me to uh, this fund. It's a it was a European fund. Uh, it's actually a super fund, meaning it was uh, larger than a hundred million. And my deal was 10 million. And uh, I submitted all the all the things that I needed to submit. Next thing I know, I'm being accepted. Like they, they want to invest in my company. I thought, holy smokes. Without even is- talking to you? Yeah. So it went through my, it went through a broker. It went through an investment broker. So I've got a, so I've got a, I've got a third party investment broker that's managing the information received from me. And then he's putting the package together and sending it as a submittal to this fund. And he had relationships with the people that. And and, 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 and how much research did you knew, uh, needed to do before like handing uh, all those, those papers in and so on and so forth. This sounds yeah. like too easy to be true. Like, <laughs> well, Trust me, this this story is about to take a very dark turn in a minute, Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, because it was it was it was too good to be true. But yeah, I didn't I didn't know how to put any of these things together, you know. So I just had to rally the troops. I, I'm I'm calling my friends that have MBAs and this sort of deal, and I'm getting help putting a business plan together and putting all. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a circus, man. And uh, I just hope that the finished product would would make someone think that I knew what I was doing um, because I I was pretty sure that I didn't. Uh, so anyway, but 
there you go. So I, I submit the deal. It gets accepted. And now uh, it, it appears that we're going to fund uh, in 90 days. And so, but I'm concerned about losing the property that I want. So I go ahead and I go put a, I go put a contract down on that property and ask him if I can push the closing to 90 days so that it closes after my investment funds come Got in. It, yeah. Okay. But I had to put down the earnest money myself to hold the contract, which was $80,000. And I had that. So, so we, you know, we liquidated some savings. I put in the property contract, it gets accepted. Everybody's waiting for the investment fund to close and then we can get started. And like you said, too good to be true. I'm thinking this is, this is way too easy. <laughs> so 90 days comes, comes and goes. And, um, I Where's guess the money? Got exactly. That's got right. It. You got it. And the investment fund says, uh, "Hey, we need we need another three months." You know. And the story that I get is, you know, they got this big hundred plus million dollar deal. I'm a I'm a small small piece of it, and so they tell me like, "Hey, we've got to get this anchor deal secured first, and then we can do your deal." Well, what else am I going to do? I don't have any other options, you know? So I'm like, okay. Yeah. So in, in order to keep the property though, I got to put more money down to extend the contract. And I'll fast forward a little bit, Hardy. That happens, that happens two times. And so now I'm nine months in and uh, keep in mind, I'm, I've already resigned from my previous job. So I don't. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what we're doing like uh, on those nine months, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was in, I, I was, I was in the fetal position for most of those nine months. I didn't, I, yeah. I just, I laid on the ground, um, you know, just wondering if I was going to, if I was going to survive. I just, I, I can't, I mean, I can't describe the, the level of stress and pressure and all these yeah. things trying to get this deal done. And so, yeah, so, I mean, this was a, this was just a hell on earth, nine months um, here. We've saved for 15 years and we are burning through this money and it's pretty much gone um, because we had to live for that nine months. And I had to invest the money in this contract to make sure that we could get this property that I felt in my heart that was the property that we were supposed to be at, you know? So anyway, I, uh, I remember the morning that uh, I was supposed to close on the property and uh, there was no way I was going to be able to close. And right before I woke up, uh, I'm going to get, get, it's just Hardy. There's no way around some of this stuff. You know, you, it's you and me here for a little bit. So you're just going to have to hear some of these stories. Okay. And, <laughs> I'm enjoying uh, this so far. All, and all, I'm everything's just, fine. I'm just going to be completely real with you. I'm not going to hold anything back and, yeah. and, you know, and your listeners, they can, they can, they can filter it however they want. This is, I'm just telling you as it is right before I woke up this morning, this particular morning that I was supposed to close on the property. I knew I couldn't close. I was out of money. Uh, is really bad, really, really bad. Um, I had a dream right before I woke up. And in this dream, uh, I was being escorted around like a, like a ballroom. It was like a social event ballroom. And I was being introduced, I was being escorted by two guys and they were introducing me to people like I was someone special. And I remember that I was coming up behind this little old lady and they were trying to introduce me to her, but I recognized her. Um, she was a saint of a lady in the little bitty country church that I'd grown up in as a kid. And she had, she had long died by the time I had this dream, but you know, it's a dream, right? So, um, 
they're trying to introduce me and I'm saying, guys, I, I know, I know this lady. Um, and she heard my voice and she turned, she turned her head around at me and we locked eyes and, uh, she opened her mouth to speak to me, but when she spoke, it was not the sweet little voice of, you know, sister Ida Mae Renfro that I remembered as a kid, uh, Hardy. It was, um, it was the voice of God. It was, uh, there's in, in the book of revelation in the Bible, there's a, there's a phrase that the author John writes. He says that this, the voice of God was the sound of many waters, that's the expression that he uses, the sound of many waters. I read that before as a kid wondering what it was. Well, let me tell you, Hardy, it's the only phrase I can use to describe the sound that came out of this woman's mouth. Uh, it was so epic. I felt like the whole earth should have passed away at the concussion, the sound of this voice. There's just no words to describe what, what happened in this moment. And she says to me, thus saith the Lord. I have two things to tell you, and the first is, I will not fail. And each word was like a concussion just rolling over me. It was so, I just can't even describe it. It was so epic. I remember waking up pretty much paralyzed, like almost shaking from this voice that I had heard. And the reason I share this story with you, Hardy, is because this is an important moment in my life because I'm out of money. I believe that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And yet everything has gone wrong. Nothing has broken my way. And literally the only thing at this point that I have to hang on to is this promise, this feeling that I have on the inside that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and it's not going to fail. Now, let me tell you that that property contract, we were buying this property from a multi-billion dollar multinational conglomerate. Okay. Um, they're a behemoth and there's a guy's name on the contract that is the CFO of this company. And I never, I had never spoken to him before their company was so big. I always dealt with mediators, never the person whose name was on there. After I woke up, my phone rings, I answer it. The gentleman introduces himself and it's the guy from the contract. It's the CFO. And he says, uh, Jeff, uh, he tried to introduce himself. I'm like, I know who you are. Um, he said, we're supposed to close on this property to, today. And I presume you'll not be able to close. And I said, that's true. He said, uh, Jeff, he said, I'm here in front of my computer. And he said, I've got emails from people that want to buy this property. He said, in fact, some of them have sent snap pictures, snapshots of their bank accounts just to prove to me that they could close in all cash if I would just terminate with you and sign with them. He said, we've been at this for nine months. I could terminate with you right now. And I could close this afternoon if I wanted to. I thought, what do you say to that? I don't, I mean, like, I, I understand what you're saying, you know. He said, but Jeff, we don't want to sell this property to these other people. We want to sell this property to you. And he said, so I'm going to give you one more contract extension. You don't have to pay for it this time. Of course, he didn't know. I couldn't have paid for it anyway. And he said, we just want you to know we're all pulling for you. And I thought, how crazy is that? I mean, you're pulling for me? Like, they should think this much of me, you know? <laughs> we had, yeah. They don't we even had, know you, so. You know, we had had nine yeah. closings, nine closing dates, and I had squelched on all of them. 
And this guy's telling me they're pulling for me. He's going to, so I thought, man, this is like, I'm just going to get ready for a miracle here because I can't believe what's happening, but a miracle didn't happen Hardy. And two weeks later, my investment fund fell through completely. And they notified me that there was going to be no funding at all. The whole deal had come crashing down. Oh, I didn't expect that. (laughs) Oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What happened then? I was without a job. I was without any money, all, 15 years of savings, um, gone down the drain. 15 years of savings, man. Like, I, I can't even imagine how this feels. <laughs> it's crazy. The, at this point in, in, the, in the contract and in all the extensions, I was in for $140,000 on this property contract. And that $140,000, gone. It was gone because I had to walk on the contract after all that. And, and that was it. And it was, it was over. And I, and so I was left to figure out, you know, am I just going to die? That was an option. Um, you know, but I had a family and children, so I didn't want to go that route. Um, or I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and, uh, try to figure this thing out. And, uh, Man, Hardy, there's just there's so much to tell here, but uh, after that, keep going, keep going. Okay, hey, you're you're so you you the lead. I'll I'll follow. I'll, <laughs> yeah, you, you everything's fine. Like okay. like no bullshit. Like I really really yeah. love your honesty. Like um, we have we had many many guests who were like super vulnerable, shared their story with us, but um often with the with the people who are doing hundreds of millions of, of in, in sale or who are like very successful most people tend to like always share like all the wins and all the successes yeah. and I, I know my audience loves those like raw like uncanned stories so keep going <laughs> uh, you're going to you're going to get it and we're just getting started <laughs> we're just we're just getting started so okay so i got to i got to figure it out so um okay so now i've got to if I'm going to get financing, I got to start from scratch again. And I got none. Yeah. Okay. So I need a lender. I need a banker uh, for one. And I've got one in mind because here, here in the local area, I got a guy that I, I didn't know personally, but I had a, you know, friend of a friend type of thing. And I knew him to be a banker, but he was also a serial entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. I was looking for a lender that might be willing to take a, some risk. Okay. I thought I'm going to go talk to this guy. So I did. And, uh, and the conversation actually went pretty well. And, um, I said, uh, you know, so can you do this? And he said, well, I can probably help you, but you're going to have to bring some private money to the table. And if you can bring some private money to the table, then I can back you with some, you know, debt, senior debt. And I said, okay, well, how much? He said, well, you need to shoot for at least 3 million. And as long, as long as you can get more than 2 million, then I can probably do something. I thought, well, okay. You know, it's better than a no. I'll, I'll, I'll just have to go. <laughs> All I got to do yeah. is go find $3 million. You know? so, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I set out and, and I'm, I'm starting over and, you know, I just, I'm going to tell you, Hardy, did you ever see the movie, um, 
Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe and Renee Zellweger. Does that movie ring Not a bell? To be long? honest, but I love Russell Crowe. I really okay. love this guy. So <laughs> I got I got to tell you one scene from this movie because it about made me cry like a baby because I was going you know having gone through this. So in Cinderella Man, it takes place in kind of the the Great Depression era, and he's a he's a, a boxer. I mean he's a he's mm-hmm. a he's a normal day trade labor worker, you know, working in a, like a feed farm, moving sacks and stuff, but he's a boxer and, um, he's got a manager, uh, that helps him get fights and all this sort of stuff. And anyway, it's really bad times. And there's this scene where Russell Crowe and his wife, they go to this nice, like high rise penthouse type, uh, you know, building, and they're going to see the manager because they're at their wits end. They're out of money. Their utilities have been turned off and they don't care. They don't have any shame anymore, right? They're banging on this guy's door and they're saying, I don't remember exactly what he says, but they're saying things like, you know, you're in there with your silver spoon and we're out here begging for bread. And it's a really emotional moment in the movie. And finally, the manager opens the door and invites them in. And when they walk in, you know, they're in this beautiful penthouse apartment, but it's empty. There's nothing in there. Mm-hmm. And what, the, what they now learn is that the manager has been systematically selling all of his and his wife's possessions to try to keep this social status, to try to keep this standing. And he explains to Russell Crowe saying, I know you're upset, but listen, here's the deal. We've sold everything that we have because the day we lose our social standing, you lose your ability to ever get a fight again. The only way you're ever going to get a fight is if we're able to stay in the circle long enough for things to get better and I can get you a fight. And it was just this incredible moment because there was this appearance of having everything when really on the inside they had nothing. And here's the Mm. reason it connects with me, Hardy, is think about this. I'm going to see investors, potential investors, okay? And I don't have any money, but I need to look like I've got something going on because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to invest in someone that shows up in rags and, <laughs> you know, a piece of crap car or whatever. Right. Yeah, and I true. had this, I had this, I had this BMW sedan. Okay. <laughs> and here's what I love. You know, it's a, it's a great German manufactured vehicle, by the way. There you yeah. go. Um, <laughs> I still have this. I still drive this car today. Uh, this car that I was driving, it was paid for. Okay. And I couldn't afford to have a, I, I couldn't afford any payments on anything. So I had to keep driving this car. And here's what I love about BMW from one year to the next, they kind of look the same. And so like you can have a 10 year old BMW, but it doesn't look 10 years old. Okay. Okay. And no one has to know that you've got 200,000 miles on it. Okay. You just wash it and it looks pretty good (laughs) and you show up in it. And so I would show up in this car. I would have a suit jacket that the buttons, the buttons were all, (laughs) they were broken off of it. And I learned to hold my arm in a certain way so that people couldn't see the broken buttons on my jacket. I love this podcast, man. I love this podcast. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm sitting here talking to these people, having to sit down, like I've got it going on together and I don't know where my next mortgage payment's going to come from. Okay. And so I'm, I talk to an investor and I tell him, Hey, I've got this lender. It's ready to go. Here's our plan. Here's what we had in place. It fell through, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I get one. 
I get one, I get an investor and they're in for a million bucks, million bucks. And it was, it was a moment. It was a moment, <laughs> man, because, because someone said yes, you know, and yeah. once, and once, once they said yes, then it's the next way easier. Yeah. It's way easier. You got it. You got it. So because, because now you have to leverage. And I think this is like a, a, a great, 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 great takeaway for, for our listeners, because I can really relate to your story. Um, because uh, at first, like one of my biggest clients uh, was, I shared the story already a million times on the podcast, but his name is like Neil Patel. And he's like one of the biggest marketers or the biggest marketer in, in uh, the US with a million followers, over 100 uh, employees. And I was like, hey, I saw that you are expanding in Germ Germany. Like, uh, I never worked with someone like in your league, but um, what do you think? Here are a couple of suggestions and long story short, he gave me he gave me a shot and I could leverage like having this type of relationship with him to like building the whole podcast to building like all my companies because um i could point out okay like i had neil patel as my fourth like podcast episode and i have neil patel as my client so um i could leverage just this one relationship to now be able to work with several companies that are doing a hundred millions in sales several influencers with over a million followers on social media um so i think like People, they always tend to think about, okay, like I need to win over like all those people. But I think that if you just get like the right type, if you just have like one really good like business relationship, or if you just have like a one really good client, or in your case, like one like significant investor, you can leverage that uh to get to 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 get like more deals to get more clients and so on and so forth and i think um what's also really important uh for our listeners here to to wrap their mind around is what you said about like showing success i think people nowadays there's like a whole like a lot of people they think they can't talk about success because else it might be uh, it might be perceived as like bragging and i think there's like a fine line between like bragging and talking about success um i i think you can easily overdo it and um it can easily come across as you are bragging but i think there's definitely a time and space to impress people or tell them okay that you had success in your life like for instance if i would have pitched you for the podcast and i said oh hey jeff i i had like a couple of gym buddies on the podcast and uh the guys i was like smoking weed like on the weekend uh, was like like you wouldn't be interested on, on joining my podcast yeah. so i have to tell you yeah i had a couple of billionaire investors on the podcast i had like uh, a couple of like influencers with millions of followers on the podcast so um i think it's super super important uh to show success and uh yeah just it a couple is, of thoughts no that's good hardy i love it man and there and you're right there is a difference and i don't it's sometimes difficult to explain but people i, I just believe people tend to be intuitively smart and they pick up, they pick up on a quality that's in someone yeah. and you, you, you can recognize fairly quick when somebody's been through the fire and you can just tell, and it's easier to receive what they say um, because it's not necessarily being proud. You can talk about success and still do it from a platform of humility, yes. uh, a, a platform of preferring others than yourselves. Um, you can, you can do those types of things and people pick up. 
uh, everyone's got a radar that kind of can detect authenticity that can detect someone being genuine or someone giving them a line, you know, and that uh, unfortunately is not just a, uh, you know, a, a talent that is learned it's experience that's been had, you know, that's mm. what, that's, that's what does it. But um, yeah. So, well, so we, we, I get you, you nailed it. I got the first investor and then, um, um, and then, you know, it was easier to get the next one and, and so on and so forth. And so about 45, 60 days later, I come back to the banker that I had the conversation with and I had 2.4 million in, uh, in private capital raised. And when I was nothing, when I was nothing hardy, uh, but a piece of paper, uh, this, this guy loaned, this guy loaned me about $5 million and I was able to get the company off the ground and to come back to the property because see now a couple of months have gone by. And so I got to go get a new property. Um, but just to close the loop on this one, here's the deal. I couldn't get it out of my mind. Cause remember I told you when I walked this property, I, I, I was overcome with a sense of home. Like this is where we're supposed to be. So I couldn't let it go. I wrote that CFO back and I said, I know I'm probably the last person you want to hear from, uh, but I, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I've got new, I've got new financing in place. And if there's any chance that you haven't sold this property, uh, please take a look and Hardy. So remember I told you that I never spoke with that guy, except that one time on the phone, it was only through mediators. Okay. Well, when I get a response back, it's not from him. It's from the number two person, which was a lady. And she's the one that I dealt with most of the time. She wrote me back and she said, Hey, and she mentioned this guy by name. She said, Hey, he's no longer with the company. He's resigned since you spoke to him. And I, Hardy, I thought it was over. I thought, well, it's over because surely he's the one that I had favor with, you know, the mm-hmm. one that wanted to do the deal with me, but I was wrong. <laughs> it was the number two lady that I had favor with the whole time. And I never realized oh. she was the one that had been whispering in his ear saying, this is the guy that we need to sell the property to. And now he's resigned and she's taken over as the interim CFO. And she tells me, she says, Jeff, here's the deal. We're in due diligence with another company on the property, but we've not signed a contract yet. And we've looked at your new financing and we're willing to, we're willing to do a new contract with you. And I thought, this is amazing. My 140,000 was still gone um, because that, that left when the other contract left and I'd cost him no doubt that much money for through nine months of hell. But at the same time, I've got a contract now on the property that in my heart was the one we were supposed to be at. And so I just thought, okay, like I've lost that, but someday I'll get it back. I don't know. So I go down to the, to the, to the title company to do the closing. Okay. And uh, I'm dealing, I'm dealing with a lady there. Keep in mind this lady, she had to prepare for nine closings as if we were going to close each time. And every single time I squelched on her, like she, she thought this much of me and had every right to, and I was trying to break the ice with her. And I I said, Miss Phillips, have you ever had, had one go quite like this? And she said, Jeff, only one other time. And it did not end up like this one's ending up today. 
And she said, in fact, uh, the seller has made one more change to the contract. I need you to initial it. She slid some papers over to me. She said, it's just above the bottom line. The bottom line was how much money I had to wire that day to, to close on the property. But just above it, she had written in, per the seller's instructions, these words, credit to buyer, $140,000. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What what multi-billion dollar corporation has compassion on a single business owner like that? Hardy, they gave me my money back and they they had no- Unbelievable. And that- that 140,000 is how the Hager household survived the next two years. Um, keep in mind, it doesn't take $140,000 for our household to survive. We can, we can live on far, far less. Okay. But when you've accumulated the mountain of debt that we had accumulated, just the amount of money each month to try to maintain the interest. I mean, not even putting a dent in it. It's just to make the interest payment each month. We were still eating bean burritos every day, trying to make that interest payment just so that we wouldn't be in bankruptcy. We were at the point where, I mean, any incident at all was bankruptcy. And it might be good to point out here, in the three years after resigning from my previous job, two of those years were without pay and one was without medical insurance. And I have a family. I have have kids because I didn't have a job. And so we oh, didn't okay. have, mm-hmm. we didn't, you know, we didn't, cause it took me a year from the time I resigned. It was a year. It was actually, it was actually 13 months uh, from the time I resigned until we got big elk started. And I was able to get back on a health insurance plan during that whole time in between. I didn't have help. My only health insurance was waking up in the morning and praying that God would keep my family healthy because if we had, if we had a single medical incident game over, we had any sort of financial incident game over. And, uh, and if you don't mind, let me, I'm going to fast forward to tell just a couple of anecdotal stories to tie up the personal part of the, the personal finance part of the story, because I told you that, 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 uh, that 140,000 lasted us actually is about 18 months. Okay. And we were running out. And, uh, and I'll tell some other stories about the business in a little bit, but just to summarize here to say, you know, from the time we started the business, we were right into a downturn. And so the business was in no position to pay me a paycheck yet. Okay. So I'm still living on this 140,000 trying to, trying to make it far enough that we can, you know, get a sustainable income. We're just not there yet. 18 months goes by and we're just not there yet. And I'm right back in the position of having, having nothing. Okay. And I'm thinking, man, like we did not come this far to fail, but I've got, I'm, I'm out of options. And, um, uh, I got a call. This was in May, June of, uh, 2016. And, uh, we just finished our taxes and all that sort of stuff. And so I get a call from our senior tax accountant. He never calls me. So, I mean, I pretty much knew it was bad news. And, uh, so I said, you know, Hey, Pat, what's the word? And he said, well, Jeff, I've got the proverbial, you know, good news, bad news. And I said, well, let's end on a high note. What's the bad news? He said, bad news is your company lost a little over $3 million last year. I said, well, that, that's pretty bad news. I don't exactly know how you recover from that, Pat. So what could possibly be the good news? He said, well, Jeff, the good news 
is that your company lost so much money that all of your investors have maxed out how much of the losses they can claim on their taxes. You know, you get the rest. I said, okay, well, how much is that? He said, well, it's a, it's a little over a million dollars. And I said, okay. I, so I think I understand what you're saying, Pat. I said, what you're telling me is that if I should ever earn money in my life again, I'll get to earn the next million tax-free. He said, that's true, but that's not actually the good news I'm calling to tell you about. He said, the good news, what you don't know is U.S. tax code allows you, now that you have these losses, you've started this business, you've got these losses. He said, you can go backwards two years and redo your previous two years tax returns. He said, I'm calling to tell you that all that you paid in taxes in 2013 and 2014, we're going to redo that and you're going to get that back in a refund check. And I said, now we're talking, Pat, how much money is that? He said, it's about $70,000, Jeff. And Hardy, that 70,000 is how the Hager household survived the next year. Okay. And as that 70000 was coming to an end 12 months later, wouldn't you know it, the company was finally in a position to start paying me a paycheck. And that's how we made it. I love this. Like there, there are so many things that uh, could have gone wrong in your story. But uh, <laughs> so uh, what, would you, what would you tell someone? Because um, I think that, Yeah, most people that I've talked to on this podcast, and I've done nearly like 400 interviews at this point because I also have like a German podcast. And um, most people like they have like a backstory where something went southways. I, I even talked to a guy uh, last week who who on his way to making millions and millions of dollars, uh, he was homeless for a couple of years. So um, what would you tell someone who's listening to this, who is going through tough times? Because I think um, going through tough times is somewhat like inevitable, like people will eventually go through tough times. So what would you tell them? I would tell them to embrace the suffering It's our greatest teacher and there's no replacement for it. Um, you know, the furnace of affliction purifies like no other process uh, in existence. And I didn't just go through the fire. Uh, I emerged a different man. I, I came out of the experience a different person, a different kind of leader. I, I would dare say I emerged as a leader that people actually wanted to follow. Um, I was transparent with people as I was going through the process. My own people, they knew what I was going through. I didn't talk about it, but I, I didn't shy away from it either because You know, there's a lot of, and we, we may get to this later, but there's, there's a lot of things in this, you know, I'm not the only one impacted Now, granted I'm, I'm severely impacted by all this, but my people are all being impacted. We're going through pay cuts. We're going through extreme circumstances as a company, you know, and they needed to know that long before they were ever asked to sacrifice or take a cut, that their leader was already taking a cut. Their leader was already sacrificing, you know, you lead by example, And so you've got listeners that I'm sure 
I mean, they're going through the ringer. Um, embrace it. Embrace it. Um, and let me tell you something else, uh, Hardy. There's, there's a difference between just taking a risk and going all in. When there is no safety net, it changes you. It changes the people that are around you. Um, you know, my, my people got front row seats to a great sacrifice. And that ended up being the thing that forged a camaraderie and unity in our team that was unbreakable, you know. So good things can come from that, but you got to make it to the other side. So you got to dig down deep. You've got to remind yourself of why you started the whole process to begin with. You've got to believe in it. And then you cannot listen to any of the voices on the left or right. You can't pay attention to the darkness that surrounds you on the left or right. You got to keep your eyes fixed ahead. of You got to keep your eyes fixed on what's in front of you and take one step after another. You know, that's it. And just embrace the process. Totally. And I think um, if you're going through such tough times, like I have been broker than broke. And I think um, if you are in this situation, I think it's very hard to be positive to like, I was like always talking to myself and said, like, eventually, like everything will work out. Eventually everything will work out. But I think it's very, very hard to be positive. But I think if you just keep at it, if you just keep improving, if you just keep like learning, reflecting on your mistakes, um, trying like a million different things to get your business off the ground. I think um, eventually you will find a way. And like you said, um, I think um, at the end of the day, it's really about like becoming a person that is able to start and, and maintain a successful business. For instance, you could burn down my whole podcast. You could delete all my iPhone contacts and all the great business people that I'm talking to on a weekly basis. You can like burn everything down. I'm nobody like in the podcast world. I have no clients. I have nothing, no website, nothing. I would know exactly how to start my agency or my businesses in a matter of weeks. It's a different business model, obviously, because uh, I'm doing, I'm involved in businesses with, uh, with quiet, with, with little amounts of capital. Like I don't need millions to start a business, but um, I think that eventually it's really about like becoming the person who can create wealth, who can create success, who can create businesses. And um, this is like way, way more important than the money. I agree with that. And, I'd add one more thing to it. And I, I, you know, just what little we've interacted here, I believe you to be this type of person. Um, but, you know, another key element is to invest your life in other people. Yes. Um, be, being a part of other people's lives is an important part uh, of this process. And uh, I've learned that when you work hard to make other people's dreams come true, then they work hard to make your dream come true. And, you know, there's an old, uh, and there's, there's an old uh, African proverb that you've, you've probably heard people, you've probably said it, people probably said it on the show, but it's, it's worth, it's a good one. It's worth repeating, which is um, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. Mm, if you want, okay. if you want to go far, go together. Right. And it's harder. It's harder to do something with people, with a group. You know, it's easier to do it by yourself. 
But the reality is if the, the people who do great things, really great things, they figured out how to do it with people and making that investment, making that investment is a really important part of the journey. Even when you're suffering and even when you're down, find a way to make a difference in someone else's life today, because you probably have someone who's worse off, someone that you can do something very simple to. And those people rally for you when you're in your, when you're in your darkest moment. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like I'm a deep, deep believer in only like um, playing long-term games with long-term people. I think like all the benefits in life, it doesn't matter. Like if it's business, if it's health, if it's relationship, it all comes down to compound interest. Like for instance, if you have known someone for like uh, four weeks, like you don't give them the keys of your car, or you don't like trust them with your bank account details or something like, like I could like, give all my my brother has all the passwords to everything that i'm doing like he could like crush everything like instantly but i, I but I, obviously i have known him my entire life and there's no way that he would do any harm to me whatsoever so i think it's really about like um building long-term relationships with people and um not really short-term relationships i think especially like if you are young and you're listening to this and um i think it's very easy to like look for like short-term hacks uh to look for like how to like quickly make money and and so on and so forth but what i learned it's so much more about like building long-term relationships because uh with time um there's just way way more trust like for instance like i know one guy who's uh, a deca millionaire he used to manage a billion dollars uh he introduced me to uh a billionaire investor actually he's also from sweden and I, I i'm talking to him like like he's a buddy of mine and i know like for sure like if anything would happen, like I could easily touch, uh, get in touch with him, tell him, okay, like I'm starting this business. Like, could you like help me to get in touch with this or that person? So um, I think that if you have known someone for one year, five years, 10 years, and even longer, um, there are just so many benefits there. And I think it's really, really important to realize that um, it's really about like long-term relationships and not short-term relationships. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. I've had a saying for years, which is all of life is based on relationship. Yeah, um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I love this. <laughs> I, I I grew up on the sales side of things. That that was where I found my lane. Um, you know, I, I fished around in a couple of different things, but it turns out that sales and business development was a real gifting for me, and I just had a natural talent there. And um, you know, I, I I learned some things through that process, which was that. Um, companies don't buy from companies. People buy from people. You know, it's about people. And at the end of the day, you can have a relationship with those people, but you have to build it and you have to be genuine. And uh, all of life is based on relationship. Totally. And, and also what you said about um, investing in people long term and making sure that they get what they want. I think this is just like being smart. Like, for me, it, it is like very like common sense because um, if you take care of your people, if you take care of your clients, like just the long-term consequence of that is that they want to do long-term business with you. They want to work with you long-term. And um, I think that um, actually, actually like just being like ethical and just being a good person is uh, 
it's, it's just a smart move. Like, <laughs> to be honest, like um, a lot of people, they, they do it like from, from like a virtual signaling position of like, oh yeah, I'm taking care of everyone. But actually, if you are a smart person, you will realize that it's actually just the right move for you as well. So um, I think, yeah. Uh, it's the golden rule, Hardy. Uh, <laughs> yep. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, at, at the end of the day, there's there's a lot of truth in the simplicity of that. And, you know, and for a lot of people who would just hear that as an isolated comment out of context, it might just seem trite, like, okay, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but the truth is, is once you, once you go through these types of experiences, um, trying to get a business started, trying to live out a dream and things like that, you know, you realize that you need people in order for those things to happen. And, you know, you don't, you don't get, you don't get that kind of support by being a jerk to everyone or being self-centered, that sort of thing. I, I remember a mentor of mine, um, he's still alive, he's 89 years old. Um, and I, and I unfortunately have not been able to see him in a while because of the COVID uh, situation. And that's been a real struggle. Um, but when I was, when I was growing up, you know, I would, uh, I, I, I was, a I was a gifted communicator from an early age. I would do a lot of things with church or different things like that. And I would always get real great accolades because I was able to talk well and communicate a message and that sort of thing. And that was a real passion of mine. And I can remember being in environments where I might be speaking at something and it just went really great. Just being honest with you, it just went really great. And I was looking for that affirmation from this mentor. You know, I was looking for him to say, way to go, you know, good job. And Hardy, every time I would see him, he would come. Like if I was speaking somewhere, he would be there. And I would go to him first when, when the event would be over with. And before he told me anything else, he would grab me. He would pull me close to him. And he would say, stay humble don't let pride take root in your life. And then he would begin to pray for me that God would help me to stay humble and to not let pride get root in my life. And I have never forgotten that. That stayed with me my whole life. And I think it's because left to myself, I would be prone to pride. I would Damn, be prone. I, I would be led to that. Right. I would be prone to letting my ego swell and take over. But, but I, but I hear the voice, I hear the voice of that mentor in my life saying, stay humble. And I'm telling you, uh, humility is one of the greatest qualities a person can have in this life. Humility is so attractive to other people. It's because we all struggle with it. And people think, well, if I had, this and that go on, all this sort of stuff. It's like, no, you know, humility is a condition of the heart and it's an important quality to have in the life of any leader. And, and humility does not mean weakness. You can be humble and have tremendous strength. You can have, you can, you can have humility and have tremendous influence and you don't have to have it. There are people that don't have it. Uh, we, we've got some examples that we could name that everyone would be familiar with. And, and, and when, when you think of them, you don't think of humility, you know, you can get there without it, but, but when you're, uh, 
but when you're a humble leader, man, everybody roots for you. You know, everybody, everybody wants to help you. Everybody wants to see you succeed. What a great feeling when people want to see you succeed and you can tell that it's authentic, you know? Uh, totally. And um, I think that also like trying to be humble um, is also like very uh, effective because um, if you just tell yourself the story of like, you're the greatest, you're the best. Um, I think this really can influence your thinking in a bad way because you um, tend to believe that you have all the answers and that you know it all. And this actually keeps you from searching for better methods, uh, better methods, um, better ways to do certain things. So I think um, actually like humility or being humble is like very, very effective and i think if you're listening to this and you're prone to like being like very prideful like for instance like uh, my listeners know this because i've also said this a million times on the show like i'm a person who also tends to be like super super um proud of what i'm doing because i was broker than broke i had no clients um i i had no money whatsoever my family doesn't come from any wealth or anything I, i'm completely self-made and um so so <laughs> i i also tend to be like okay like i found success like very very young i'm just in my mid-20s and um but luckily i'm in the position where my brother is like the completely opposite person um, and he's actually like involved in every business that I'm involved in. He's like, he's very, very analytical, very, very down to earth, um, very unemotional, a very, just a numbers guy. And he always, um, he always is like, okay, like, how do you like, calm down? like relax we we have a lot we have a lot of things uh, that could go wrong we have a million things that could go southways and he's like always shooting holes and things and i think it's really important that if you are prone to like being a very like a person that has a lot of pride that you surround yourself with people who aren't like that if this makes sense it does you know there's a there's a pretty popular study that says you're an average of the five people that are closest to you and yes. the purpose of that is to be really careful about who those five closest people are and make sure that they're better than you are you know yes. so that it pulls you up uh, you know beyond this p podcast hardy i'd love to stay in relationship with you i think about you know if i i'm sure you have so many people say if i knew then what i know now and I think, man, to, to go back to my mid-20s and be able to download some of the experience uh, that I have and, and knowledge that I have now. I just want to ask you a sidebar question. I have one other thought that I sure. want to say before we leave the, the uh, humility and invest in others yeah. uh, se segment here. But I just need to ask you before I forget it. Are you familiar with the Enneagram? Is that a, is that a familiar word to you? Enneagram? Yes. Yes. You are? Okay. Because that was that was a process that really changed my way of thinking and dealing with other people. Because when you describe your relationship with your brother, that is so key. In fact, there's a popular book, uh, well, really popular book called Traction that's used. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Gino Wickman's the author. It's used in a lot of business. A lot of people process. mentioned it. Yeah. Well, same author wrote a follow-up book called Rocket Fuel, and it talks about how the really fast-growing companies what they have that's unique is they tend to have two people 
that are often involved in leadership. One who's more on the forefront that tends to be the visionary, tends to be the yes. communicator, but someone behind the scenes that's more of the integrator, the one that keeps yes, the trains running on time. Yes. And that's, that's your brother. And people who are able to find that combination early on, man, what it does to just, uh, uh, yeah. right? It is, it is like totally a game changer like because he is like really the builder type guy and i'm just like really the sales type guy like i'm like closing all the deals um involved in like the branding type of stuff and he is like uh actually like building all the time uh really like a financial guy crunching the numbers he has always been the best in mass and his whole like uh when he was in school i have always been the worst when it comes down to mass and my school or during school so yeah it, it is a perfect match and i think um um if you have like a relationship like that it's really invaluable especially like uh, in my age let's come back to that in a minute because it's it's so important to unpack that a little bit especially as people who are trying to start a business and they they may not have found that match uh yet for yes. them so let's come back before we leave this part i want to mention one thing this uh, while i've got this mentor on my mind um, he, he taught me a principle that called the Elijah, Elisha, uh, principle. It's, it's a biblical reference, but the, the concept is universal here. Okay. Uh, Elijah was an older prophet and Elisha was the younger, the one that was going to take his place. Eventually it turns out. And the Elijah, Elisha principle goes like this. Okay. Elisha was the young one. And he saw in the old one, this is someone I need to cling to. This is someone who I, I want to be someday. And so the first part is always have someone in your life that you cling to that represents the path that you are on, but who you are going to be someday. Okay. Always have that person in your life that you can look to and say in five years or 10 years, this is what I want to be like and make that investment. Okay. Okay. Likewise, the Elijah part of the principle is always have someone that you are investing in. Always have someone, whether that's younger by age or younger by experience, but you should always have someone that you are pouring your life into. And you may think, well, I'm not very far along yet, whatever. Well, there's someone behind you. There's someone that's there's someone that's even more in their infancy and taking those steps. And you're already learning things that can be of value to them. It's important for you to always be pouring yourself in the life of others. So find find that one that you can pour your life into, but also always have that person that you're clinging to. Keep that process uh both the one that you cling to and the one that you're pouring into Elijah, Elisha, make sure that you're always an Elisha to some Elijah in your life and make sure you're Very always powerful. an Elijah to some younger Elisha uh, in your life. So just, I want to share that. I really, really love this. And I think it also um, sharpens your thinking because for instance, like in the relationship with my brother, we also tend to have like completely different interests. Like he is very interested in finance. He's very interested in politics. He knows everything about politics in the whole world. Like he can get like to the nitty gritty stuff. Um, very, very educated on politics. And I'm not interested in politics at all. Like I'm really interested 
interested in uh, in in philosophy. Like I've read like everything from Kant, Nietzsche, um, from from all the great philosophers. I'm really really interested in philosophy, and um, and and w what I found out in our conversations because we are phoning like at least for an hour every day, uh, trying to see uh, each other as much as possible, even with the whole like COVID thing going on. And um, what I found out is that because I'm always having to explain certain ideas, because he isn't like really familiar with philosophy and he has to explain a lot of ideas when it comes down to politics because i'm not really involved into politics like i'm not watching the news like i'm the dumbest person on earth when it comes down to politics like i don't know at all what's going on and um it i realized it really like sharpens our thinking because he has to like it, it really has to make sense to me what he is saying or trying to teach me or, or trying to, to 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 tell me and i realized that i really have to explain it in a good way so it makes sense to him when i'm talking about philosophy so i think this also really like investing in another person also really sharpens your thinking uh, It doesn't. It helps you to appreciate the fact that there's lots of different ways that people are wired internally. Yes. And you've got to learn to work with those different types of people. And um, you, as you get older and as you gain some maturity, and some people never get here, unfortunately, but uh, if, you're, if you're lucky, you arrive at a place where you realize uh, it's not worth it to try to change people. Okay. And, yes. and, and some people listen to that and they think, well, I don't try to change people. Well, okay. Let me just give you some examples. When you spend your time arguing with someone, if the root of that argument is so that you can get them to share your opinion on a particular thing, you're trying to change their opinion into your own opinion. Now I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't talk about things that debates, not good. Th those things can be very healthy, uh, but I'll, I'll bring it home for you. I saw I saw this years ago on uh, TV. I uh, walking by, and the, the, it was a uh, like a like a morning news show or something. And they had this old couple on there, and it turns out they were they had them on there because they were the 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 they were the couple that had been married the longest, I think, in the world or something. Certainly in the U.S., they've been married for eight eighty years, eighty something years. They were like a hundred and a hundred and one years old. And they'd been married for over 80 years. Okay. And I thought, well, that's Beautiful. interesting. Yeah. So I stopped for a second. I thought, I, I want to hear what these people. Yeah. Say. <laughs> you know? And so the, the, the interviewer says, uh, you know, what's on everyone's mind, which is what's the secret, you know, what's mm -hmm. the secret to this long marriage. And this, this old lady, she pipes up and here's what she says, Hardy. She says, after about 20 years, We stopped trying to change each other. <laughs> Beautiful. Let, let that marinate with you a little bit, man. Because uh, I'm telling <laughs> you, I know you've got, I know you've got a, a younger audience. But if you're, if 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 the folks out there who are either newly married or in a relationship about to yeah. get married, like do yourself a giant fast forward in life and 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 understand right now all the things that you love about the person that you are in this relationship with, if you don't do anything different, there'll come a day when all those things are annoying. When all those things are the things that would tend to drive you apart, and not bring you together. When the, 
when the glitz and the glamour and the sparks, you know, have left and you've got to be in this long-term relationship right now, make the decision to appreciate the differences, you know, and this translates right into the business environment. Like Hardy, you're think you're thankful for the fact, could you imagine if you and your brother were wired the same way? Yeah, would, it would be uh, like everything would go wrong. Like right. I'm always like he's super super frugal. I tend to spend money like a very dumb person. So yeah. um, it is a perfect fit. Like <laughs> you need you need him, and he needs you. Yes, and, and that's and that's a, a moral to the story of life is we need each other. And yes. here's the deal: you got you got a lot of people uh, listening, and some of them, you know, they might be. I mean, they're young, hotshot. I mean, they're talented. Okay. They're talented. They got energy that without ceasing, they've got energy. Okay. They've got drive. There's no end to their drive, all these types of things. And here's, here's the deal. It is very, very, very rare that a person possesses both the talent that you have Hardy, which is the communicator the, the face, the one who likes to be out front and relishes that environment. And then also possesses the ability to go back behind the scenes and make sure all the trains are running on time there. I'm not saying it's impossible. Very, very, it's very rare. <laughs> very few people have that. Okay. So we need each other. You know, yes. it's like, it's like parts of a body, you know, and like, like Hardy, you're like the mouth, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're, you're the one you're, 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 you're visible to everyone, you know, but your brother, he's like the heart. He he's on the inside. Like not everybody's, yes. not everybody can see him, but they see the evidence of his good work. It actually shines through you. You're a testament <laughs> to his this. good work. You know what I mean? And like the, the earlier in life that we can understand that it takes all parts of the body to work. And those people that are more behind the scenes type people, man, you got to embrace them. Because the body doesn't work without a heart or liver or lungs or these types. They're essential. And you got to take care of that. You got to take care of your body, both in real life and and the body of your business. And I think that's why it's so silly, because I see it like all the time on social media. And so, so many people that are like emailing me or, or something like that, where it's about, OK, like what is more important, selling or building or like like trying to make those separations? And I think you can't make those separation. Like I can't like separate like the whole like finance side of our businesses from the brand perspective i can't separate the branding perspective from the marketing the marketing from the say it's like everything is interconnected so i think like people really need to wrap their mind around okay like everything is important it's not about just selling it's not about just marketing it's not about just like having a good good accounting or good legal system like it's about all those things and uh what you mentioned earlier i think is like a great great lesson especially for our audience especially especially for our audience because most of them are in their 20s and 30s and um i think that it doesn't matter if it's business or relationship friendship or dating like I have a quote that I, I tend to say on the podcast and it goes something like this. Um, I don't want to work on relationships. I want relationships to work. So I'm not interested in like trying to like 
be friends with someone when I see this is not a fit. I'm not yeah. interested in trying to convince a, gay, uh, a girl to date me if I see she isn't interested. I'm not interested in convincing a client if I see he isn't interested. Like I realized, I'm, and I'm super grateful for that, that time is really short on this planet. Like I had family members die already in my age. So I see that life can go by like this. And um, I want to create great things in this life. And I know that I just have like a very, very limited time span uh, to, to, to invest in my dreams and to invest in my future. So I don't, I'm not interested in trying to convince anyone in, yeah. in anything that I'm doing, not in my dreams when it comes down to my businesses, not in my dreams when it comes down to my podcast. Like if someone says this is all bullshit, like good luck. So um, I think it's really important for our listeners to realize that you don't need to convince anyone. Like there are so, so many people that uh, will love you for exactly who you are. There are so, so many girls, if you talk to enough of them, that will like you just the way you are. There are enough like business people, like even high level business people who are like doing hundreds of millions of sales. When, when they realize that you are genuine and good guys, they will give you the time of the day. They will pick up your calls. They will do everything that they can to, 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 to help your life to, to, to get in the right direction. So I think it's just important important to realize that um, it's okay to be different. It's okay to be just the way you are. And you don't have to try to convince people or change them. I think this is like a complete time waste, a complete time waste. Like I'm not interested in convincing anyone. Um, Agreed. Yep. Agreed. And, you know, people are like um, scaffolding or like the building. You never know which one it's going to be. You know, when you, when you enter into relationship with someone, um, and, you know, and everything's great over time, you learn to have an appreciation for the seasons of life because mm. sometimes, sometimes someone's coming alongside you to be a part of your life, to help build something. And, you know, when you're building a structure, oftentimes you have scaffolding that goes up while that structure is being built. But then mm. after, after it's built, then you tear the scaffolding down because you don't need it anymore. That structure is built. Sometimes you have people in your life, you don't know whether they're the scaffolding or the building. Uh, sometimes they're there to be with you for life. Sometimes they're there to be with you for a season. And oftentimes people get all bent out of shape when it comes time to part ways. And it's a really big deal for us culturally at Big Elk. You know, I tell people all the time because uh, we have we have a crazy retention rate. Everybody wants to know why, why, and how we have the retention rate, uh, that we do. And we have, I mean, just in the time that we've had this call, I don't know how many headhunter calls have happened to our, our people here because everyone wants to recruit from us because we have the best people. And, uh, you know, I, I told people along to, when we very first started the company, I said, there's no, there's no contractual gotchas. I, I have exactly this many non-compete agreements, uh, mm. with our people, our people who have all the knowledge and everything. They know all the inside information, our organizations built on trust and that's it. And that doesn't mean that I expect everyone here to, uh, to stay for their entire careers, but, uh, we build placed on trust. We, uh, I've told people, I say, listen, we're all in essence trying to do the same thing, which is, you know, provide a good living for our families and to pursue our passions and while Big Elk is a great place, we're not a big company. 
there, there's going to be opportunities that may come your way. That's the right opportunity for you. And it may be an opportunity that we don't have here at Big Elk. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to bake you a cake and we're going to throw a party and we're going to thank you for the time that you've been here. And then we're going to wish you well, because first off, uh, we want you to succeed in life. And the thing is, if I, if I, if I send a person away on a high note, I'm going to get 10 people in return. It just works out that way. And then the other part of it is you never know how an opportunity is going to work out. Sometimes it doesn't work out like you think it's going to, and maybe you need to come back. You know, there's no reason for burning bridges in this life. I'm, I'm real big on that. So when we, when we talk about people and we talk about being in relationship with people. Uh, man, a second, my charger. Yeah. yeah, no problem. Continue, please. Yeah, I mean, we, we just we just focus on the on the relationship uh, aspect of it, and I mean that's that's a, that's a real that's a real key uh, key component for us. We've had, um, you know, we've had people that were critical people um, to the organization, you know, and an opportunity came their way, and you know they needed to say, hey, I think I need to take this opportunity. And I always made sure that everybody in the company got to witness what a good exit looked like, you know, and we, mm. we, 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 we make that happen uh, as often as possible. Cause I just tell them, I say, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're trying to make a good living, provide for our families, pursue our passions. And uh, uh, we want that to happen here, but it can happen in other places as well. And we wish them to go on because, you know, they were a part of helping us to build something great and we thank them for that and move on. So, People's, again, I just go back to the, you know, it's a mantra. I mean, we need each other, you know, we're, we're in, we're in this together and, and don't try to fly solo. You know, you may have up to this point in your life been kind of a solo flight and you think that's just your lane, but it's not, it's really not, you know, you need to, you need to find, you need to find your posse to do life with. Um, and I want to pick on uh, here on something um, because I really like how you view life because um, I think that um, because we were talking about like there are people for different seasons or for a season and not for life. And I think this is like a great way to, to grow through, li uh, through life because um, I think a lot of people that are listening to this, they think it's about like, um, I think if you have the choice, like obviously pick people, you can build things very long term on a long term, uh, long Long, uh, long time scale, but um, um, I think there's also time and place to 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 recognize that okay, that maybe I just need a contractor for a couple of months doing a certain job, or maybe um, or maybe um, when it comes down to like hard work, because there's like so much talk when it comes down to hard work and on social media especially, and I think there's a time and place for hard work, especially especially if you start your business, like you need to work hard, like you have no leverage, you have no capital, um, you have no people in, in, in place, like obviously you need to work hard, but I think that also like when it comes down to work, uh, to hard work, um, there's also in time and place to like step a little bit away from the gas pedal and take things a little bit more slower. Like for instance, um, I'm now in a position where my decisions matter like way, way more than how hard I work. Like I could work 80 hours a week, but it wouldn't make such a big difference. Then for instance, like, okay, like what kind of other like 
demographic will, uh, should we be targeting or uh, decisions around like what kind of products should we be launching and so on and so forth. So I think that at a certain point, yes, hard work is very, very important, but it's also important that okay, you don't have to work like hard all the time. There are seasons for working hard. There are seasons for doing certain things. And um, yeah, I also tend to view life in seasons. So that's why well, it really resonated with me. Yeah. And, and you know, I chose early on to do, to do life in the form of a team. Uh, you know, people will give me accolades, you know, boy, you do this well, or you do that well. Most of them, I'm, I'm not sure it, it, it might just be, it might just be smoke and mirrors, but if, if there was anything that I, that I might be good at, it's building an effective team. And, mm. uh, you know, this is a good, this is a good lesson for, for people to know the earlier you can grab this, the better. Um, Let's talk about if, that. Yeah. If you have to, if you have to be an expert in every area of the company that you want to build or the what product you want to pursue, um, you're just not going to make it very far. You can only do so much. And so when I was building the team, because I decided that trust was a core value for us and uh, we would be willing to live and die by that. I remember when we were hiring the first round of leaders, I would say often to them, uh, you're going to have every opportunity to fail. And here's what I meant by that was I knew, I knew the seats that needed to be at the table from a leadership perspective. I just didn't know who all was going to fill those particular seats. I was searching for the people who would fill those seats. And for instance, in our, in our business, um, you know, we, we manufacture these, these items. And so there's lots of different areas that are not an area of expertise for me. Like I'm just off the top of my head, I'll say quality, you know, like we're, we're an ISO 9,000 company. We have these, these very intense quality uh, processes, documentation, these types of things. It's, it's not a major skill set for me. I always enjoy learning about things, but, uh, but I'm not the expert. And so when we're hiring that person, I say, listen, um, you're going to own the process. You get to do it the way that you want to do it. it. That may mean that it goes great. That may mean that there's times of failure and we'll have to talk about it. I said, but here's what's not going to happen. You're not going to have someone looking all your over your shoulder, micromanaging the process. Uh, so what I need to know is if you're prepared to take the helm of leadership of this um, of this group within our company. Because uh, here's what I here's what I do not accept as the leader of this company. Uh, uh, I, this is just this is just me. We're going to have problems. There's going to be times when something goes wrong. I never allow someone to come in and say something to the effect of, well, this is why I wanted to do it this way. And if we would have just done it this way, we wouldn't have had that problem. See, no, no one can ever say that here. We get to do it exactly the way that you want to do it. And if there's a problem, you own it. And then I'll jump into the trenches with you and we'll figure it out together. And our mm. leaders at our company, they know that to be true. Like they go by that principle and it helps us. It helps us because at the leadership level, we have people who take ownership over the issues. And so I get the privilege of having lots of owners. Uh, they, they're able to, they're able to make decisions and, and those types of things. We're always working on it. I mean, some are better than others, of course, but it's a process, but by establishing that culture, people know what the expectations are. 
And uh, that's just, I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, to me, it's an important part of making, making the team work. We have, we have an incredible team. I, let me just tell, I want to brag for one second, just to give you an idea. Cause you know, I, I don't know if, if you, if we said this or mentioned it or what, but uh, you know, one of the biggest accolades we have, if, if you're familiar with the, uh, is the Inc. 5,000 a familiar thing uh, for you, Hardy? Very, very familiar. So, uh, you know, we had a big claim to fame in 2018. Uh, You've got to be in business three years before you can apply for that. And I I love that magazine. And uh, so we, 2018 was our first year to apply and we were, uh, we were number one for our our state. Oh, I live in Oklahoma, so we were fastest growing company in Oklahoma. But for our sector, our category, manufacturing, we were number one in the country. So in 2018, Big Elk had awesome title, fastest growing manufacturer in America. Awesome, right? I mean, totally awesome. How does that happen? Amazing. Tell you, I'm going to tell you one story real quick. Um. When we were when we were first getting started, and we we're trying to get approvals with these big clients. You know, these are giant energy companies; they're publicly traded companies. So the red tape that you have to go through just to be able to do a transaction with them—I mean, it's it's a it's a high hurdle. Lots of paperwork and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, and because I, if you remember earlier, I was telling you the equipment we make often sits in between two companies. Like it's the, it's the cash register that manages that buy sell transaction between a buyer and a seller. So even though one entity is actually buying the equipment from us, you oftentimes have to be approved with both companies before you can get a, a project. Okay. And so we had just finished, uh, I mean, a monster project that it's a whole story in and of itself, how we got this. And, um, but after it was over, this company loved us. And so they wanted to use this on other projects. Naturally, like that was big for us. You gain one, you were talking about it earlier, you get one big client, one good one. And then like that helps get the other one. So that's, that's, that's where we were at. So we're about to do another project or we're desiring to but we're not approved with the other company and it's going to be a transaction between the company we've worked with and one we haven't. And so uh, the company we've worked with had a project manager and he was wanting to use us. So he reached out to the other company and said, Hey, I've got this company, big elk. They've been really great to work with. Uh, Would you be willing to approve them so that we could use them on this, this uh, project we're doing with you? And the answer was very negative. Uh, they just said, I've never heard of this company. They're probably, you know, you're probably just trying to save money. They're probably cheap. You know, I don't know. Um, no, you need to use someone that's on our approved list. Okay. Well, fortunately, this this guy that worked for our client, he was very quick thinking. And he said, hey, I actually have a copy of your approval list right here in front of me. Could you pull it up real fast? And the other guy said, yeah, sure, I'll pull it up. And, and and for the purpose of this podcast, I'm not going to name these other companies uh, involved because we we have great companies that we compete with, and I don't mean anything demeaning uh, towards them. They're great companies, but I just want to I want to tell a story to highlight our team. Okay, so he says uh, you've got this am this approval list in front of you. Uh, who's the first company on the list? And the guy says, well, it's some company, and I'll just put a name. You know, ABC company ABC. He said, who's your contact uh, listed there? And he said, well, it's John so-and-so. And our guy said, hey, you may not realize this, but John so-and-so is actually the operations manager at Big Elk now. Who's the next company on your list? 
He said, oh, well, it's company, you know, X, Y, Z. He said, who's your contact? He said, well, it's Dennis so-and-so. He said, you may not know this, but Dennis so-and-so is actually the engineering manager at Big Elk. Who's next on your list? And you get my point. He said, you think that you don't know Big Elk, but actually every key person you're used to dealing with, oh, they're this all, is so smart. This is like they're all on one team. A whole different game. Like, right? <laughs> this is said, on a very high level, I would say. Like it. very creative. Very creative. They said they're all on one team now, and that team is Big Elk. And and Hardy, there's a number <laughs> of stories I could share with you, but that story captures the essence of why we grew so rapidly in the marketplace and land ourselves with the coveted, you know, one spot for a, for, you know, an entire category. We were, we were 123 overall, but I'm proud of that because on the manufacturing side, manufacturing doesn't tend to be at the top of the top of the list tends to be companies that have less capital intensive startups. Like you said earlier, some businesses take millions to start up. Some take don't that much, you know, the ones that are in manufacturing, that's kind of a higher hurdle to get off the ground. Very high hurdle. Yeah. You know? And so we were 123, but we were number one for, for manufacturing and, and uh, we love that title. And, and for me at a time when I didn't really have the ability to reward our people monetarily, we were still suffering uh, from some, very difficult economic situations. But the thing is, is that we had a culture that was contagious and everybody that worked here felt like we were building something special. And so when a nationally recognized platform comes along and declares to the world, you are building something special. It meant something to everyone. It was a morale boost. We had all sorts of high profile VIPs that were coming over to have press conferences and pat our back and say, way to go guys. And all this sort of stuff. And it was an amazing season for us. And how did that happen? Well, it didn't happen because Jeff Hager is amazing and the greatest thing mm -hmm. that since sliced bread, it happened because we have a team of people that trust one another, that have a genuine affection for one another the, the culture we have is contagious. I was mentioning other about, you know, we don't have any contractual gotchas. You know, you work for a lot of companies and I, I don't want to, I don't mean anything bad by this, but just to give a difference of perspective, you know, a lot of companies you go work for, they'll, um, they'll put in some money for you in like a retirement, like a matching program where, you know, if you put in 5%, you know, they'll, they'll put in 5%, whatever. And then the, it, it, it's called vesting. There's a vesting program. And what vesting means is, is that, you know, you put in money into retirement and then the company matches it and puts it in retirement. But if you leave the company, you don't get all those dollars that the company put in to match. Okay. Oh. The reason they do that is it's a retention mechanism. It makes you think twice before leaving because you think, oh man, I'm going to be giving up this money. Okay. So what they'll do is like after five years, you get 25%. And after 10 years, maybe you get 50% or 75%. And see, when we started Big Elk, I said, no, vesting is 100% on day one. If we put in money into your account and two weeks later, the right opportunity comes along, it's yours. It's yours. I said, here's the deal. If your heart is set on another position because it's the better opportunity for you and for your family, who am I to stand in the way of that? We're all trying to do the same thing. No, no, no. We're not going to have any sort of contractual gotchas to try to retain you. Our only retention, that. listen, Hardy, our only retention mechanism, the only thing that we have to retain people is to be awesome.
That's it. That's yeah. the only thing. That's the only thing that we have. People, people, if people want to stay here, they're staying, they don't have anything else that's tying them down. They could go. They don't have a non-compete, whatever the company's matched in their retirement. They take it with them. That's it. I said, we're only going to have one mechanism. It's just be awesome. And when someone does go, we're going to bake them a cake. We're going to throw a party for them because who knows, they might come back or they might be talking to a client one day and say, man, you know, here's the company you should be doing business with. You know, you just get people to rally for you right now. I mean, Hardy, we're in a tough time. You know, it, we're six years. I, I thought we were going to be a lot further along in six years. We got some accolades. I got some ink trophies. We were on the list for the third year in a row. You know, we got that. But I'm tell you, when you when you look behind the scenes, you know, kind of peel back the curtain and get rid of the fog and smoke machines and all that sort of stuff. It's brutal back there. It's brutal. We're hanging on by a thread. The industry we're in is 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 in uh, it's in a major downturn. And then the pandemic, it was already in a downturn. Then the pandemic happened. It was right on top of it. We're in a difficult situation. And uh, but I've got everyone from clients to suppliers and things like that. And uh, man, they're all rooting for us. They're all doing everything they can to help us. They're extending more grace to us than they would extend to any other company. Uh, hoping that we'll see it to the other side. And when you have that kind of support, man, you need it in the dark times, you know? And like I said, it goes back to a cultural element about we're we're all in this together and building that team identity and atmosphere. It's a real powerful thing. It's not easy to do. It'd be easier to do it if I was doing something on my own. That would be, that would be easier, but I, it wouldn't be as profound. Uh, you and I would not be sitting here talking on this podcast if that was the case. You know? <laughs> and and um, I think for our listeners, what's really important to understand is I always like I always try to find the root cause of things. Like because I think when it comes down to um, creating success or creating wealth, like I think a lot of people they really tend to view things in terms of like, okay, like I need to do this, but actually they miss the point because it's about a total completely different thing. Like for instance, people think in the success industry, it's about like habits and routines. And I totally get the point, like habits and routines is are super, super important, but um, people are having the quote unquote right routines or the right habits because they really, really want it. They have like a deep desire to create success. So it isn't really about like creating great routines or habits because they are just a byproduct of really wanting it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of people, when they think about like creating a great culture for their company or creating a great team for their company, they tend to think it's about like, like, buying pizza every Friday or like playing ping pong like on the weekend yeah. together or stuff like that. And, and I don't try to belittle those things and I don't try to say that those things aren't important. But um, what I'm trying to say is that the really root cause of a great company or the really root cause of having a great team starts with the founder. Like if the founder's mentality is in the right place, if the founder has a great mindset, he will naturally attract the right people. Like because I'm Hardy Haberland, I'm 
connecting to all those people who are way above my weight class because they see something in me. They see that, okay, this guy is going places. He's in his 20s. He know Why the hell does he know all those people? Why he uh, is managing several companies? They, they see that, that I'm, I have something going for me and that I'm going places. So I think it's really, and I'm not trying to brag here or something. It's really about like trying to make a point. I think it's really important to understand that it's really about like getting your own mindset right, your own thinking right, your own, like how you are viewing the world, how you are thinking about relationships, how you are thinking about treating people the right way. And I think the natural byproduct is that you will attract great people. Like I'm surrounded by so, so many great people in my life, whether it's on the personal level, whether it's on a business level, because I think people can see that I have a unique mindset. So Yeah, I think it really starts with the founder and not with the ping pong tables and drinking beer on the weekend. I agree with you completely. <laughs> uh, those, those, those things, those things are fun, but they, they can't be, they can't be the central part of the culture. Like you said, those are byproducts of, of a culture that existed. It does start at the yes. top. I, 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 uh, this is very rare that I would ever lead something off by saying this, but I, I do want to share with you because something you said rekindled a memory. I, I went to a seminar of all things. It really did change my life. I didn't realize how much it was going to change my life, but it's something that I went to in probably 2009. I was at a technical conference uh, put on by a behemoth manufacturer of all sorts of products that are used in our industry. It was a, it was a technology and operations conference. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there was this seminar right at the end, you know, how a lot of, you know, back when we attended conferences in person, you know how a lot of times on the last day of a conference, everybody's, you know, maybe they've already got their flight book. Yeah. Or, you know, like <laughs> if, you, if you're a speaker, you know, you don't want to be the speaker of like that last thing because attendance is like maybe 10% of, you know, what it was. Anyway, there was a, there was a seminar and it was called the future of management. And I don't know what it was, Hardy. Like it just, something spoke to me. I'm like, I got to go, I got to go see this. And this guy was eclectic as all get out. Turns out he had worked for this big technology manufacturer for like 20 years, but he was retired and he was a, he was like a Presbyterian minister or something like that. I mean, I thought it was such a weird combination of things in this guy's history, but you know, I like that kind of stuff. I just thought, man, this is, I want to hear what this guy has to say. And this guy, he's retired. He doesn't care. Right. I, yeah. I mean, you could, you could tell he doesn't care if he gets invited back to speak or not. So right, <laughs> out, right out of the gate, he asks everyone that's there. He says, do you think that it is improvement in technology that's going to be the main driver of your business on whether it succeeds or fails? There's a hundred people in this room, maybe 200. No one raises their hand. He says, do you think that it is making your operations more efficient? Is that the thing that's going to make it happen for your company, whether it succeeds or fails? No one really answers. No one really raises their hand. He said, do you think it's the leaders of your company and the decisions that they make that ultimately is going to drive whether your company succeeds? And every hand in the room goes up. And he said, he said, yeah. then why is every seminar at this conference either about technology <laughs> improvements or efficiency in operations, right? You know, man, this guy, 
like and i'm he, dying <laughs> he he had me he had me at hello and i i have saved i i have saved on my computer i have saved this guy's presentation from well over 10 years ago because it was so i mean i could spend another hour just talking through this guy's presentation but i just wanted to share that to say what you said nailed it like it starts at the top and it yeah. really, it really matters, you know, who the leaders are of the company. Let me give you, I'll give you a, you know, I'm, I try to keep more personal stories because I, yes. those are the most, those are the most impactful. So let me give you one from, uh, we had won this big project that, you know, we, we started the company, went right into a downturn. We were only 10 and a half months old when we won this major contract. Okay. It's the largest energy project, pastor present, a pipeline project in the U.S. Twin 42 inch lines laid side by side. Your listeners may not know that, but if anyone who knows pipelines, they're going to know that's a big project. And, um, there weren't any other projects available. Okay. Like if you've ever seen those nature shows, where there's like a famine and there's this one, you know, wounded wildebeest on the Serengeti and it's surrounded by jackals and the jackals are ready to turn on each other because there's not enough in this one animal to feed them all. And so they're ready to slice each other's throat. That's what it was like in our industry, because here we were a provider of uh, a manufactured product, but there was no, nobody to send it to. And here comes this one big project and everybody's wanting a piece of it. I remember going to this bid meeting. There was 15 plus companies that are all, you know, competing against this. And anyway, I, I'll, that's a great story. Uh, I mean, I, I'll just quickly summarize. The, the company said they were going to award two contractors. We came in third place. I was demoralized. I thought, how are we going to make it? Because there's nothing else left for us to do. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I get a call from the project director. He, uh, he says, and keep, I, I had, I took, packed my family up and traveled to a nearby city because for us, you know, getting away meant uh, someplace we could get to on a single tank of gas. Okay. Uh, we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't have any money. And so I'd gone up, I'd gone up to visit a friend to try to get some encouragement because I really needed it. And in the middle of this, I get this phone call from this project director. He says, Jeff, are you still interested in this project? You know, and I'm thinking, Oh, like, yeah, uh, you know, is the, does the sun, you know, rise in the East and set in the West? I mean, yes. And uh, he said, well, here's the deal. One of the two companies we awarded is having a hard time passing our company's credit check and it might open the door for you to come in. And I thought, well, dear God, how in the world am I going to pass a credit check? You know? And, uh, but I got him on the phone with our CFO next thing, you know, Hardy, we had six and a half million dollars in purchase orders you know, showing up in my email inbox. And that was the thing that really saved us during that time period. And the, the story I want to tell you happened right after this, because that project lasted about 10 months. Okay. And I've been through a few downturns at this point. And so I thought, okay, this is the project that's going to quote, get us to the other side. By the time we get done with this project, the industry, the economy, it'll be better. I was wrong. Um, it turns out it was the longest downturn we'd ever had. It lasted for uh, two, two and a half years. And so 10 months is not two years. Okay. So here's, here's what I want to tell you. We had this project and it was about to end in three months and I could see the end. And I knew that there wasn't enough business to sustain our production levels. And so I knew bad times were coming. So what do I do? Because most of the businesses that enter our space 
you don't go and tell your trade labor, like welders, electricians, assemblers, you don't go tell them, Hey, something bad's happened. Cause then they're, they'll, you know, historically they'll jump ship and go, you know, they'll immediately start looking for something else. But, you know, I said, Hey, like we're either transparent. Uh, we, we either going to live our core values or we're liars, you know? So we're going to, mm. this is what we're going to do. So I, I used to hold these town hall meetings once a month where we get the whole company together I talked for a little bit. They could ask questions. Anything was on the table to talk about. So I gathered everyone together and I said, I'm going to take a big risk here, guys, and just tell you, we've got about three months more of work. And then we don't have a lot after that. And I said, so here's the, here's what I'm wanting to tell you right now. You're making good money. You're making overtime. You're getting big checks. I said, I, I don't want anyone buying a new house. I don't want to see any new cars in the parking lot. I want you taking that extra money and putting it back because I may have to come in a few months and we may have to do cuts and I want you to be in a stronger position to weather that storm. So I'm letting you know ahead of time and I'm just hoping that you won't jump ship by knowing this information. I'm hoping that you'll stick with me. I came back the next, next month, same speech. I came back the next month, same speech. The third month I come in and I say, well, it is upon us and it's happened just like uh, we thought. We don't have enough work to keep this level of uh, production going. And uh, so we can, we, we're going to have to, we're going to have to cut 10%. Everyone's taking a 10% cut. And we do, when we do stuff here, we're, we, we rise or fall together. So whether you were office, salary, uh, trade labor worker in the plant, it didn't matter. Everybody took a 10% cut. And um, it was a pretty bad day. Now I told people all the time that I had an open door policy. You can come visit me. No one ever does. You know what I mean? Like only my top people would ever come visit me. Not on this day though. On this day, my office was a revolving door as shop person after shop person was coming in on the day they were taking a cut. They were coming in to express gratitude. Hardy, they told me, they said, Jeff, we worked in all kinds of places. No one's ever been this transparent with us. They said, We've been saving money for the last three months, and we just want you to know we're in it with you. One guy told me, he said, it'd take a grenade to so get me out of this position with Big Elk. Right? <laughs> so this is great. so beautiful, man. I love so, this. I th- so I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, like I thought it was going to be really bad, and it turned out to be good. Yeah. Well, here's the problem, Hardy. The economy, uh, the industry, it only got worse after that. So here's the unfortunate <laughs> Here's the unfortunate part is that only, only two months later, my CFO comes to me and says, if we don't cut another 10%, we're not going to survive the quarter. Okay. And I said, if we were to cut people instead of the 10%, how many people would that be? He said, it'd be about 10 people. We had about 80 to 90 people at the time. So, I mean, a little over, you know, I mean, 10%. Okay. So, um, I went right back out to, I gathered everyone together and I said, here's the situation. We got to save this amount of money in this quarter or we're not going to make it. And we can do one of two things. We can either cut another 10% and everybody's down to 32 hours or your 20% off of your salary pay, whatever. Or we can cut 10 people. And I said, I want to know what you think about it. So tomorrow I'll be here early. I'll be here all day. Here's a sign-up sheet. Every person can come in 
and have a conversation and tell me, should we cut people or should we cut pay? What should we do? About two thirds of the company signed up to come in and have a conversation all day long, sat and listened to people as they said, here's what they think we should do. And over 80% of the people wanted to cut staff, not cut pay. Oh, didn't expect that. I didn't either. I didn't either, Hardy. Was I mean, isn't that a surprise? So the next morning, I gathered everyone together and I said, hey, over 80% of you said that you want to cut staff and not pay again. We'll start right now. We'll be done in a couple hours. And then I'll come back and talk to the rest of you after we're done. So we did. It was painful. We got done with the cuts. And now I'm walking back out into the shop where we gather together to talk to everyone. And as I'm walking out there on what was such a horrible, horrible day, to my absolute dismay, I walk out. There's smiles. There's smiles on people's faces. I'm thinking, what what could they possibly be happy about? But see, Hardy, something much bigger was happening that I didn't even fully realize at the time. People felt like they were a part of the process. They had never in their career had a say in what was happening and actually got to speak into the process and see it come to fruition. They saw that the people were cut were the ones that needed to be cut. They were the ones that either were taking advantage of sick pay or, you know, they were doing various things that, you know, made them not the best employees in the world or what have you. They were the ones that ended up in the fallout. And these people who remained, they were, and keep in mind, they still had a 10% cut of the people who remained over the next two years. Not a single person from that group left the company. It was a part it was a part of what we were building, man. It was something special. And I just, I can't stress that enough, you know, for your listeners is, you know, find your voice and find a way to, to broadcast transparency, authenticity, build trust in your organizations. It it develops a culture that's contagious. It leads to camaraderie. It leads to unity those become difference makers in a tough market environment where everyone else is just playing the dollars and cents game. And listen, we're, we're not over here counting money. Uh, We're over here trying to survive, but I will tell you there, I, I don't know of another company in our space that started in 2014 that still exists. You know, we may not be printing money yet, but sometimes the best testimony you have is we're still here. Sometimes if that's all you can say is, we're still here. We're still alive. Like that's a testimony. You hold on to that because that means that you're living to fight the fight, you know, another day. And anyway, I just wanted to share those things. I I think those are important culture elements. Yeah. And um, I was just thinking about like, because you were like speaking so much about authenticity, being transparent, being honest, And also here again, I think um, people, when they hear those values, they they tend to like view them in terms of like, oh, yeah, they're like they sound nice. But um, I also think they're just very effective because um, if you are honest and if you are transparent and if you are just the way you are, 
I think you will attract the right people. For instance, I'm not trying to put on a show here when I'm on the podcast. Like everyone who's been listening since day one uh, to my show and all that, I'm exactly how I am. And uh, that's why I'm attracting the right listeners to my show. They know I tend to sometimes not be that political. Like I'm most of the time a very political correct guy, but sometimes I'm not. They also know that I'm sometimes obnoxious, that I sometimes um, have like very contrarian viewpoints. And um, I want to build an audience um, I one guy I really admire. His name is Naval Ravikant. He's like one of the biggest investors in America. Uh, one of the biggest angel investors invested in Twitter and I and many many companies. I think over 200 investments. I had his brother on the podcast, Kamal Ravikant, terrific author, and he has a great saying. And the saying goes along those lines: um, If you want to build an, if you have to write for your audience find a new audience or if you have to create content for your audience find a new audience and i think this is like a great saying also when it comes down to to your company i think um there are a lot of people that um that are afraid to say what's on their mind when it comes down to their employees or to their clients or they're afraid to um do those things that you that you have done like very i think this is like very contrarian like i think like most leaders they tend to be like iron fisted this is the way we are we are doing this but this didn't fit this didn't uh this hadn't fit right for you and you've obviously made the right decision because your people are were super super happy about it so I think um, for everyone who is listening to this, I think um, it's just very effective to be like authentic because you will attract the right people in your life. And also um, think in terms of, of a magnet, like you're attracting people, but you're also repelling people. So you are also pushing the wrong people away, like someone who wants to listen to a podcast where people are like dancing and doing silly things, they wouldn't be interested in my podcast. Um, if, if someone isn't interested in deep and long conversations, like I, I don't want them to be my listeners. Like if they want to view like 30 minute, uh, 30 second clips on Instagram, like they can go ahead so i think it's really important that you will also like like repel the wrong people and um i think what you will realize is that you will have so many great relationships because people you will have the right type type of people on uh, in your life like i i have countless countless of of like a list like podcast host influencers with millions of followers business uh, people with with great great businesses that i could like call like in 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 and they would pick up my phone and we could discuss everything for like 30 minutes or so so i think because I'm just the way I am and I'm attracting the right type of people that like me just the way I am. And I also like them because obviously if they're like me, like they tend to view life in a similar way. So, um, yeah, I think just, uh, just a couple of thoughts. I think, uh, authenticity is just being, it's just very, very effective. I love it, Hardy. And there's a, there's a popular book uh, right now, and I had a chance to actually meet with this author recently. His name's Ann Crone, and the book is called The Road Back to You. And uh, it's a reemergence of this Enneagram uh, process. And it's really been, it's, it, it, it's uh, I mean, I don't know if it's life-changing, but it's, it's close to it because really completely changed the way that I view interactions with people. And it gets to this authenticity thing that you're talking about is the reason it comes to mind because Studies show, this is very interesting to statistic to me, 
Um, we'll start with a funny one. 100% of people believe that they are self-aware. Okay. <laughs> Most okay. aren't, I would say. <laughs> Fifth, the studies show that only 15, one five, only 15% of people are actually self-aware. And as I am learning uh, the type of impact that you can have in your life when you have self-awareness, yes, you portray a level of authenticity that is so rare. People don't fully understand why it's so rare, but it's because most of the world is not self-aware. They think that they are, but they're not. But the ones who are truly self-aware, who know themselves, are able to simply be authentic, be genuine, be finish the sentence. You can put almost anything that you want there. It's an important part. I mean, I've been a little bit of an evangelist of late for this book, Road Back to You, because I consider myself to be, you know, uh, Hardy, I appreciate your perspective. You know, you you you'll, you confidently can share some things that that you're gifted in, that you're talented, in, and you and you know them to be true, and you're able to do it in a way that's that's not simply just to build yourself up or bragging or whatever. It's uh, it's taking your rightful place in the space that's yours. Okay, um, for me, I consider myself to be top of the game when it comes to relationships. I'm a relationship person. My whole life is based on relationship. My, when my, my career in sales, wherever I was, I was at the top of the scoreboard and it's because I was the best relationship builder, but see, I didn't do it in a phony way. I didn't build relationships to get orders. I love people and yeah. I just built relationships and they produce. And so I share that to say, even me, when I went through this process of kind of like self-discovery, you know, that Enneagram process, I encourage all your listeners do it early in life. In fact, the author specifically said, he said, when you're answering the questions, you know, to, to kind of go down the path of self-awareness, he said, imagine the 21 year old version of yourself. Well, for many of your listeners, that'd be easy to do because they're not too far away from 21. You know, for yes. me, that was that was half that was half my life ago. You know, uh, <laughs> I'll be for, I'll be 40. I'm 41. I'll be 42 on my next on my next birthday, and I see it every time I'm looking at myself in this uh, call that we're having right now. How old I look, and I uh, I don't like I don't like that I don't like that at all. But see, it's part of self awareness. See, I can I can admit it about myself. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 being <laughs> and being self-aware, I think is like very very important because um what I like um what I saw like the pattern that I recognized in talking to so so many successful people, so so many people who have done great things in their life is that they tend to like be very very reflective. They tend to think about things a lot or think about their thinking thinking uh, they think about like the consequences of everything that they are doing they tend to think about the consequences of the consequences about the second order effects the third order effects of uh, their decisions so um i think that being self-aware and knowing your limitations knowing your strength is like very very important in life and um um i i think this this just leads to good and effective decision-making because what we are like 
at the end, why people are listening to this is uh, whether they know it or not, uh, is because they want to build up good judgment. They want to make better decisions. They want to make better decisions in life, uh, whether it comes down to relationships, business, what have you. And um, I think that if you want to have better judgment, like uh, you first often have to fail. <laughs> you uh, get good judgment by having worse uh, or terrible judgment. But um, I think it's really about, yeah, being self-aware, reflecting uh, about your thinking. Uh, and um, yeah, and also being like, I think what's also very, very important is uh, I always love the saying, having strong opinions or str uh, strong opinions weekly held or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I think this is like very, very important because um, when I see a better method, if I see a better way of thinking, making decisions or what have you, um, I always throw my previous assumptions out of the window. So I think it's really important that you are able to not hold on your opinions or views or beliefs too tight if you see that they aren't the right way to go about certain things. That's good. That's good, Hardy. I like that perspective. Um, I agree with everything you said. I, I would just add to it that I'm really big on learning how you are wired and taking a deep dive in that to know and learn about yourself because uh, you think that you know yourself. People, like I said, 85% of the people out there think that they know themselves, but they're really not self-aware. Going through the process of learning about yourself and the way that you're wired. For instance, let me give you an example. You rattled off a number of qualities there. I'm going to tell you I'm really horrible at actually. But people considered me, uh, people considered me to be a great, le uh, great leader. Let me just give you an example here. So on the Enneagram, I'm a seven. I'm, I'm an absolute loose cannon. If, if there's going to be someone, you know, streaking at an event, uh, it's probably going to be me. Uh, are you familiar with streaking, Hardy? Is that a familiar no. term? Okay. That's when you're at a party or a gathering and someone goes uh, running by naked. Okay. Oh. <laughs> we call it, we call that, we call that streaking. Okay. Never heard the term. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is when, when you think of that person in the group that is famous for doing the spontaneous, crazy stuff, I love okay, that. That, that's me. That's the way that I'm wired. And what goes, what goes along with that? Well, that, that means a lot of times I'm a, I'm a fairly poor planner. I'm a fairly poor organizer. Yes, um, me too. I, I'm, I'm great in the moment. Uh, and mm -hmm. and I, I tend to be kind of the life of the party type of guy yes. and those types of things. I'm the one that people love to have around. But when it comes to running a business, I'm not necessarily wired the ideal way to be the great leader. So what does that, what does that mean? What do, I, what do I have to do? Do I have to try to become like the people that I'm not? Do I have to try to rewire myself so that I'm good at these types of things? No, you said it a second ago. It's not a scripture, but it should be. It's from the movie Dirty Harry, uh, where Clint Eastwood says, a man's got to know his limitations. Okay. Mm. And the thing is, is that when you do a deep dive into yourself and you have enough humility to say, I'm not the best at everything, you find out those things that you're not good at and we spend so much try time trying to shore up our weaknesses. My attitude is 
surround yourself with the people whose strengths are in the area of your weakness and do it together. It's harder to do things together because you have to deal with different personalities, but you can accomplish so much more. So that's, that's why I'm real big on, yes, there are great qualities that a lot of leaders have, but I don't get too hung up on that because not everybody's wired the same way, but you can accomplish great things. You can be a great leader as long as you don't have a solo maverick where you've got to do everything on your own. Totally. And uh, just a couple of thoughts that come to mind right now. Um, I think that a lot of people that want to like build businesses, they want to create success, they tend to think that they need to be great at 10 things. But what I found out is that actually, just if you have one like great talent or maybe like two talents, you can leverage it into a multi-million business Absolutely. without a doubt. Um, I think that a lot of people, they have this misconception that I, because like, I don't want to like sound like, like I'm like famous or something, but I've talked to so, so many people. Like I'm really desynthesized when it comes down, like to talking to great people. Like I can talk to someone who's way above my weight class. And at first I was like super afraid, super anxious, super nervous before like going into the podcast. But I've done like so many of these that I'm not really like anxious anymore or not really afraid anymore. Yeah. And, um, I think they tend to like project like so many traits onto those people that aren't actually there. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> they, they tend to project like, oh, they know everything about life. They know everything about business. They are like the greatest at everything. You, you tend to see this in like, for instance, if people are like following the business gurus with, with a couple of million followers on social media, like they tend to ask him questions around life and dating. And I'm like, man, this person isn't probably qualified at all to answer those questions, but you are projecting so much onto those people because you think that they hacked life in all ways and i think what's really important to realize is that most people most people i'm not talking about the super geniuses but most people who created multi-million dollar businesses they actually are world class at one or two things maybe they're great at a couple of others but very mediocre or terrible at a lot of other things and i think this is really really important for our especially young audience to realize because i think they tend to project too much onto successful people. And what I also want to add here is um, I think at a certain point, you realize it's not about the how, it's about the who. Who are the people that I need to put in place? Who are the people that I need to surround, yourself, uh, surround myself with? Who are the business contacts that I need to get onto the next level? Instead of thinking about like, how do I accomplish this? How I do, do I accomplish that? You were talking about earlier in uh, our episode that you weren't so great like on the product side okay like who is the person that i need to bring in like i think at a certain point you realize it's way more about like who are the people that i need to bring in versus like how do i achieve certain things like i'm for instance not interested at all how to run facebook ads how to do youtube marketing how to do podcast advertising we are selling all those things but i don't need to know like exactly how to do them because i have people that are world-class experts at those things so um i think this is like really really important to understand i i love that and and i'm all about the people part of the equation 
and you know, and for me, and and you know, and people don't have to be um, faith based people to to uh, have a drive in this same principle. But you know, for me, like you know, I believe people are eternal, right? I you know, for me, I believe that there's a life after this one, and so that drives me in the sense of if I'm going to invest my life in something. You know, just from an investing standpoint, it makes sense to apply your time and your resources in something that's going to last the longest. And so when I'm investing my life in people, right, like I view that as now, like when I'm when I'm spending time with Hardy, I think I'm spending time. I'm making an investment in something that's beyond me, something that's going to last beyond this life. And even even if you're not a, 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 a faith person, you can also think of it from a legacy standpoint. When you're looking at leaving a legacy, it's the impact you have on people. That's, that, that's really what leaves the legacy. What makes people have such amazing thoughts about someone is the impact that they had on people. Now, oftentimes, if you have that kind of impact on people, you may acquire great wealth. Many people do. When you think about people like Walt Disney and the impact that he has that he had on this world, but he was driven by a passion that had to do with people and making a, a you know having some magic in people's lives and whatnot. And virtually every person on the planet has, has experienced uh, some impact in some way, shape, or form. So I'm all about that. And I'm also all about the other thing that you said about doing one or two things great. I'm telling you, I drive that home all the time and we, we make the mistake of, you know, so you've got, maybe you've got people listening that are parents, but you certainly have a lot of people that are going to be parents. And let me just give a bit of wisdom for you right here. Uh, when your child comes home with a, a grade card, a report card, and uh, you know, they've got three A's, a B and a D. Okay. What's your instinct as a parent? What do you do when you get that report card? Your instinct is if the D was in uh, if the D was in math, your instinct is, oh, we've got to get a math tutor and you put all of this effort because you're like, we got to shore up this weakness. Okay. And what we failed to realize is that they had like a perfect score in science. Okay. Mm. And so like, we don't even think about that. But what they need to be, what parents need to be doing yes. is they, they need to be doubling down on the area that your child's already gifted in. Now, of course, I'm not yes. saying don't do math. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that either. <laughs> right. I'm saying focus on your natural strength. So instead of getting a math tutor, you, you should be putting your child in a like a science fair contest. You should be sending them to yes. a science camp in the summer yes. because the deal is your child might be a literal rocket scientist. Like your, your child might have some great physics discovery that the world needs. And how will we know it? Because you're spending all your time trying to shore up their weaknesses. Not everybody can be good and everything. So I just wanted to give that example saying, you know, double down. We got to double down on our strengths. And, and, and totally. And I think like a great example is that especially like our listeners will relate to like, for instance, if you think about like beauty influencers, like a couple of them, they aren't really like gifted at business or management, or all those things, but they look very, very 
attractive. They look awesome and they could leverage that. And, and they are leveraging it into like a seven figure business. Like I know right. plenty of girls who look amazing and they could leverage that into like a huge Instagram audience and through brand deals and everything. They're able to do like six figures and even seven figures and above right. that. So um, I think that, that, yeah, people need to realize that if you just have like one thing that you got going for you, I think you can leverage that into a lot of things. And um, yeah, and, and and like you've said, I really like your perspective about like um, really having the long-term view on people. Like I can hear it from like countless of examples that you gave like in this podcast where you were like always putting your people first, always yeah. thinking about like how you can deliver value to those people, how you can like um, make the greatest impact for your people. And I think um, this is like really, really like People should really, um, I think you are like setting a great example for our listeners because I was just thinking about one guy I had on the podcast. His name is Brett Johnson. Really, really great guy. Uh, is a VP, a VP or president at a company with 15 billion in assets under management. And he told me basically, Hardy, if you just help enough people, it all comes back. And this is like, I, I, I love the saying, like, yeah. um, that's good. Oh, so, uh, man, time, time flies. Time uh, when, flies. When I, I really, really, really enjoyed this. Like no bullshit. Like I have to have you a second time on the podcast. Well, let me share, <laughs> let me, so then let me share a tidbit, uh, uh, with you. That'd be a teaser for the next time, because, you know, a lot of people, um, listening, you know, I've definitely told some, some personal stories as it pertained to like financial struggles and things like that, you know, getting things going and, 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 uh, and all that. Um, but th- let me just give you a snapshot of what was going on on the family side of things during all of these struggles, just, just to give you, just to give you a better picture. Okay. Cause, uh, so in a few weeks, uh, my wife and I will be celebrating our 20th anniversary. Okay. Oh, beautiful. And we, uh, we, we love kids and we, so we, we, we had difficulty having children. Okay. So we tried for a number of years and, uh, it didn't look like, uh, it was going to happen. And, um, we had our, our first son, he's 13 now. And, and he was an absolute miracle. And we were told after he was born that for sure it wouldn't happen again. My, my wife had some, uh, issues, physiological issues, and, you know, just, it was preventing her from getting pregnant. And, um, so our first son was a miracle we were told it wasn't going to happen again. And so we tried to adopt. We felt like that was something that we should do. And we, we, uh, we tried to adopt from Russia and we were 15 months, uh, into the process about to go meet a referral child in St. Petersburg. Um, and right when Putin signed a law banning Americans from adopting Russian children. What? And, it was, this was in 2012 and it was the most bizarre sequence of events. And unfortunately we were in the fallout of that. And my wife, my wife likened it to being pregnant for 15 months and then no child. And we had it in our hearts. We really wanted to have another child. We were standing in faith for that, believing that that's, that that was what was for us. Then uh, we tried to adopt from my home tribe. I, I shared at the very beginning um, that the, the, the roots of the company is, uh, tied to my own native ancestry. And so my home tribe, the Osage tribe here in Oklahoma, 
So we tried to adopt uh, from there, but they didn't have uh, an adoption program. They had a foster to adopt. So you had to foster first. And uh, we had told them we weren't really wired to do the foster thing, but we would do it if we knew that we could move to towards adoption. And so we had two girls. Um, we just wanted one, but they were full sisters and uh, th- the opportunity seemed right. It seemed like it'd be a good fit. And uh, so Hardy, we took these two girls in, made them a part of our family, uh, awesome. attempt, attempting to move towards adoption. We had them for one year. Um, and then the courts decided to reunite these two girls with their birth mother. Mm-hmm. And in a moment, I'm talking in a moment, they were gone. They were gone. I had to listen to my son wail himself to sleep at night for months, mourning the loss of his two younger sisters that he was a big brother to for over a year. Okay. All this is what was going on in my house while all of those business struggles were taking place. How, how were you able to, to, to like move forward all the time? Like having so much stress, everything going south yeah. ways, like financial struggles, family struggles. Yeah. Then, well, let me, I'll answer that. Uh, I'm answer it with you. There's an inspirational quote and I'm going to butcher it. I'm so I'm not even going to try to get it word for word. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you the concept of it. Okay. And here's the concept of it. When you, when you find yourself in darkness, okay. And you're wanting to get towards the light. uh, The quote has something to do with you don't run. uh, You don't run West trying to chase the setting sun. You run full speed East into the darkness, chasing the dawn. You follow me? So powerful. Very, very powerful. Very powerful quote. And that's it, man. That's it. You know, I found my, you know, I was in the darkness. My whole family was in the darkness. We we were in a very, very difficult time period. And, uh, you know, here we were with all these struggles going on. Then we go through this experience of, you know, having the adoption in hand from Russia. And then, boom, it's taken away from us. Then we have these two girls that became a part of our lives, a part of our family. And in a day, it's gone. It's over. And my son, who was a big brother for over years, mourning this loss. We're all mourning this loss. And then of all things, Hardy, on, on Mother's Day, of all days, on Mother's Day 2015, my wife finds out, surprise, she's pregnant out of nowhere. <laughs> Out of nowhere, we were told it couldn't happen. And in January of 2016, my other son, who's now four, he'll be five in January. Uh, his name is Grant Joseph. We named him Grant because for us, we said God granted our request for another child. Mm. <laughs> we named him. We named him Joseph because the story of Joseph in the Bible was like my story. It helped. It it helped give me. Um, it helped give me inspiration and purpose to know that when you have this vision that you've been given, even if you haven't seen it come to fruition yet, hang on, like plunge into the darkness, chasing the dawn, because it will dawn on you eventually. 
And in spite of all the heartache and all the trials and all the tribulations, that it's really those afflictions that are forging you into the person that you're destined to be. In fact, you can't even fulfill what it is that you're supposed to fulfill in your life if you don't embrace that suffering. And so now, um, now I've got, uh, we, we've got, uh, uh, two sons and, uh, they're a blessing to us. And, um, you know, I look back and I think about those, that whole season of life that was happening there. And while it was so painful and at so many points in time, it's just like, can't, I don't think I can take any more. Um, but now it's forged me into who I am. And I, I am the leader that I am because of all those things. And that's, and people sense that Hardy. So it goes back, we come full circle. One of the very early parts of our conversation, you know, and what you would say to the, to the, uh, to the listeners out there that are trying to get something going. And I, I hope that, I hope that this, that hearing my story and this message today, you know, ignites the faith element of your listeners and, uh, and I just, I, I pray that all your listeners and wherever this goes, however far it reaches, that they're, that they're blessed beyond measure and they can do it. They can do all that they're called to do. <laughs> so, um, at the end, I always ask five questions, but, um, yes, before I ask those five questions, what I would personally would love to hear is, um, where do you want to go from here? What, what, what are you trying to accomplish in the next 10, 20, or 30 years. And um, I always tend to ask every podcast guest, what would you tell, what would they tell our audience? Like what would be the last piece of advice when it comes down to creating, uh, creating success or creating businesses? Yep. Nope. I appreciate that. Um, well, there's a number of business goals, uh, things that I have, and uh, they're 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 not they're not distinct from many other people in terms of business goals. I mean, I'm we're still very young. Our business is just six years old, so you know we're looking at some opportunities for some key international expansion so that we can diversify our revenue stream and not be so dependent upon the uh, domestic energy market here in the U.S. Um, so I have a lot of things, uh, goals like that. Um, I've got, you know, top line revenue goals and different things, you know, for our shareholders and that sort of stuff. There's nothing, there's nothing, uh, super unique about this. I mean, I, for me, Big Elk is my family name. So I'm not looking at this as a ex, a, a near term exit opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I tend, I tend to be with Big Elk, um, all the way in some way, shape or form, you know, until the sun sets on me, but from an overall influence and impact, um, uh, if I could share one, one quick, you know, uh, one other quick story, um, um I have the time, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, everything's fine. I'll just share, I'll share one quick one with you when I, let's see, it was in, um, it was in June of 17. I was on vacation with my family in Florida and, uh, you know, when I was younger, I used to have dreams a lot, but now, uh, as I've gotten older, it doesn't happen very often. So when I have one, that's very profound. I remember it like the one that I shared with you, uh, earlier. And this was another one of those profound dreams. As I told you, the, the household I grew up in, my parents were pastors, but I never wanted to be a pastor. I, 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 I dreaded the thought that, uh, that I would ever do that kind of work. And I mean, I, applaud people who, who that's their, that's their vocation. Um, 
But in this dream that I had, I was the pastor of a, of a church. And I thought, Oh God, like I, this was not good. This was not good. Okay. And, uh, but I saw the, there was a name. I saw the name on the side of the church, like what the church was called. And it was called business church. I thought mm-hmm. business church. And it had a little slogan under it that said, it's time we get back to business. I thought, what is this about? I go inside and there's this gathering of people and I, and you know, it's a dream. So sometimes, you know, things this, all these people that have gathered together, I know they're all CEOs and they're all business leaders. And it's a very peculiar thing. And as they're about to start the event, the, there's a person on the stage and they start reading my bio. Okay. I know this, this sounds a little vain at first, but just stay with me. <laughs> this, this, this person, this person starts reading this bio and they're saying things like, okay, here comes a man to the stage, uh, who has, uh, been, uh, who has, uh, been near, you know, bankruptcy on numerous occasions, you know, hanging by a thread, uh, all while simply trying to follow, uh, the call and passion uh, in their life. Here comes a person who's endured this and endured that all while trying to follow the calling and passion on their life. And the speaker's introducing me. Okay. And I realized something, all these people that have gathered together, they would normally not gather in this type of venue in this type of place, but they did it because they identified with the person who was going to be speaking to them. They saw something in me that they related to and that I had an element in my life that they wanted in their life. And I share this with you, Hardy, because when you talk about what do I, what, what do I want to do in the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, I'm working on a book deal right now that I'm excited out of my mind. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> you're going to love it. It's called no one prays for chicken pox. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, and it comes from a story that I had with my older son when he was struggling with school, he was having a really, really hard time. And, you know, when you're a parent of a child that's, you know, going through a tremendous struggle, you know, your heart just aches for him because you want to help him. You want to do it for him, but you know, a lot of things you can't do it for him. And I was, I was, uh, uh, my, my wife and my older son and me, we have a routine every night before we go to bed that we get together and we'll talk and we'll pray and do these types of things. And so I, I was, I was just in my mind, I was thinking, how can I, how can I say something that would encourage my son? And it just came to me, call it a divine thought or what have you. And I looked at my son and I said, Seth, did you know that your mom and I will never get chicken pox for the rest of our lives? He said, no, I didn't know that. I said, do you know why we won't get chicken pox for the rest of our lives? He said, no. I said, it's because we've both had it before. I said, Seth, there's a crazy thing that happens in your body when you get chicken pox. I said, your body forms these things called antibodies. And I said, here's the crazy thing. It uses ingredients that were already there but it uses those ingredients to make weapons to, to fight this chicken pox. And I said, here's the cool thing. Once it fights off the chicken pox, the weapons stay in your body. And if that chicken pox ever tries to come again, your body fights it off because you now have a weapon that you've gained. And I said, here's the funny thing, Seth. And I said, and listen to me closely, no one ever prays for chicken pox. Okay. And I said, but everyone wants the results of having had chicken pox. 
Okay. And I said, there's only one way that you can never get chicken pox again. It's by getting chicken pox. And here's, here's where I brought it home for him, Hardy. I said, Seth, what you're going through right now with school and relationships and all these struggles, I said, I wish I could do something. I wish you didn't have to go through that. But here's the deal, Seth, you going through this, I want to tell you, you're going to make it to the other side. And when you do, you will have gained weapons. You will have gained things to fight against those things. And you will have those with you for the rest of your life. No one ever prays for chicken pox, but they want the results of having had it. And you just got to go through it and we'll be there for you to support you. It was a moment for us, Hardy. It was a moment. And uh, I'm in the process of uh, uh, hopefully getting near the end. And uh, I'd love I'd love to be able to come back. In fact, uh, and, yes, and, let's promote the but, book. <laughs> but that's that's what it's going to be. No one prays for chicken pox. And, you know, I just want to share that with 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 you, with your listeners, because that's been uh, that's just been so meaningful to me. And my desire, as I told you in that dream, uh, my desire is to now at this point in my life, you know, to be an inspiration and an encouragement to all those other um, CEOs, business leaders, or soon to be business leaders and CEOs who are desiring to have that in their life. Um, because I feel like it's something that I'm supposed to do. I really enjoy making that investment in, uh, in people. And, and I'm, again, it's just such a privilege to be with you today on this show. <laughs> so um, could you please tell everyone uh, where can they find you on the social webs and connect with you and so on and so forth before we get into the five questions at the end? Well, I need to do better on this. Um, uh, uh, Hardy, my, my, my personal branding is, is, uh, it, it needs a, it needs a facelift, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Jeff Hager, uh, on, uh, on Instagram and, uh, And same with Facebook and Twitter handles. I can probably feed you that info at some point. Maybe it can go out whenever you uh, whenever you release the the podcast. But you know, I've got stuff on all the all the major social media channels and can get that info out to you. Got it. Um, first out of the five question is: What are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? Hmm. Wowzers. Um, well, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you, one of these, I'm sure you get a lot. I mean, I, I definitely have to say the Bible, uh, as yes. number one, you know, um, you, you, uh, I, I don't, I don't try to broadcast a lot of things faith related. It's just a part of who I am. It's a part of my DNA. So it, it inevitably comes out in, uh, in some of the stories, but you know, people got to walk their own walk. I'm just saying for me, uh, for me, the faith element has been a, just a, a, a strong driving force. So. Uh, without a doubt, uh, that, that'd be, uh, that'd be number one. Um, man, I'd have to go with, um, I have, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I have to go with, uh, the road back to you, um, by Ian Crone. Um, the process of becoming aware of self, it's like having an inner witness on the inside of you. It's almost like a third party that gets to witness the things that you're doing and saying, and then speak back into that process. And a lot of people lack that other voice. We all tend to think that the way we think or our perspective is right. And you've already said it. See, that's the great thing about you, Hardy, is that at a very young age, when you said earlier that you learn, you listen, and when you take something in, you're willing to 
change or completely eliminate previous perspectives you've had in that life. See, that's the maturity of someone way later in life. You, you have such a fast forward on life by having that perspective. Um, and for all those that say, you know, I want that, or at least I want to take the step towards that. I would recommend the road back to you. It's, it's a journey into self-awareness. Um, that's, that's very, very powerful. And I got to give at least one business book here. Um, so I'm sure it's one that's been mentioned many times, uh, five dysfunctions of a team. Um, I, never I heard to, of it actually. Okay. Well, you have to, you got, you got to, you got to get this one out there then because five dysfunctions uh, of a team is very powerful. This is going to be more for your people who are already, uh, in a business mm -hmm. leadership, uh, role. Um, but it's talking about the importance of, of everyone rowing in the same direction at the same time. See a lot of, a lot of businesses, they recruit individuals to key positions because of their resume or experience they've had in other places, but not necessarily the fit with the rest of the team. And, you know, for me, as this has come out in our conversation today, I'm big on team. Like that's more important. The team has to be working together And there's a, there's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a business book, but it's told as a story, which really helps me. I, I read better whenever it's a, a story. And uh, the thing that really spoke to me was they said, imagine that a CEO that didn't know any of your people had no relationships whatsoever, parachuted into your company and just observed everything that happened for 90 days. And after 90 days, that CEO can have carte blanche authority to change anything that needs to be changed, to make any decisions that need to be made. And then you have to ask yourself, what would they do that you're not already doing? What would they do that you're holding yourself back on because of, you know, you've got some close relationship here, but you know that the right decision is to move them on or to change things around or what have you. So I would tell you, I keep coming to that book time and time again, um, because, you know, I do talk about team all the time. That doesn't mean I don't have team issues. The, the truth is, is that I love the team so much. It means sometimes I have to part ways with someone uh, because they, they've, they've not been able to play their role the right way with the team. And those are difficult decisions to make. So anyway, those are those are my three road back to you. Five dysfunctions of a team Bible. Second question. What are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Oh, come on. Now we're, now we're talking. Um, okay. Well, we're just going to have to go fun on this one. This one is, uh, this is going to be the least serious we've been uh, on this podcast. Number one favorite movie of all time is the Goonies. Are you familiar with the Goonies Hardy? Nope. nope. You're too, you're, you're too stinking young. Came out and came out in 1985 Uh, is Steven Spielberg was affiliated with it. I don't think he directed it, but he's part of it some way, shape or form. And it's, uh, it is a group of kids that are probably like, you know, 12, 13 years old, uh, riding bikes and all that sort of stuff. And they're trying to save their, uh, they're trying to save their dad's, uh, home that's about to get, uh, foreclosed on. And they discover a treasure map to go find a pirate's treasure, uh, by a guy named one-eyed Willie. And it's my favorite movie of all time. Basically, that movie's my childhood. Like all the all the mm -hmm. the, the shows they're watching, the music and all that, that'd be number one. Uh, number two, uh, Groundhog Day, uh, Bill mm -hmm. Murray. Um, Very popular. 
Yeah, I, I, I pretty much feel like that most of the time that I'm living the same day over and over again. <laughs> you know, and we're coming into the uh, we're coming into the Christmas season, so I've got to go with Elf. Uh, my boy Will Ferrell. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of my favorites. So there you go, Goonies. <laughs> Uh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. There you go. Third question. What are the most useful products or services that you have bought in recent memory? Oh, this is a, this is a tough one. I, uh, I'm probably. And, and people mentioned like, just like not like like totally like life-changing things like a lot of guests mentioned things like uber eats or amazon prime or like, <laughs> right. yeah yeah you, you don't have to be that serious with those products or services so <laughs> well so i'm gonna give you a funny one here because if you if you would have done uh or if you hadn't maybe you did i don't know in fact if you you probably can't see any of the pictures in the background here but if you could see me in any of those pictures i don't look anything like i do right now see i'm going through uh, what they call a midlife crisis hardy are you familiar with this concept <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well you're you're looking at midlife crisis right here okay so my <laughs> uh in you know in covid and downturn like i couldn't control anything like everything was out of my control so about the only thing i could control was like my hair and <laughs> No one could go get their haircut, you know? And so when quarantine was, you know, lightening up and people are going to get their haircuts, I told my wife, I said, babe, I've got this seventies <laughs> vibe going. And if I don't embrace it, like I'm never going to get another shot. And so I said, like, who's a, who's an icon that I can, before I could even finish my sentence, she said, Tom Selleck. And I'm like, babe, and I don't know if you know Tom Selleck or not, but he's no. a heart, he's a heartthrob from the late seventies, early eighties, Magnum PI. If you ever heard of Magnum PI, he's that guy. Anyway, I told my wife, I said, babe, first off, thank you for taking no time to answer that question. Cause that's really telling how quick you were able to say Tom Selleck. Second thing is I said, you pick someone totally unattainable. He's like a burly guy with a mustache that I couldn't grow if my life depended on it. Anyway, uh, we bounced around a few more names and she said, how about Bo Duke from the Dukes of Hazard? Again, you may not know this show, but he's got blonde hair. And I said, you know what? Like that's pretty ambitious, but it's not unattainable. So I went into the, the hair place. I showed him a picture of Bo Duke and I said, this is what I want. So what products or services do I use? Well, here's the deal, Hardy. I now shop at a store called Ulta, which is, you know, usually a shop that only women shop at. And I buy hair products now that I used to never buy. I have to blow dry my hair now. I, I know I know what it means whenever women talk complain about having flat hair and bit, all this sort of stuff. So I use I use a product called Big Sexy Hair. Okay, oh, great name for, for real. So I got to go with Big Sexy Hair. Uh, got it. And uh, yeah, and all, I could name a few. I could name a few other ones that are in there. Um, gosh, I don't know, Hardy. I guess like, uh, you know, geez, I mean, I'm just so grateful to have like, uh, you know, my phone, my digital yeah. phone here. I mean, iPhone. Uh, iPhone. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, gosh, what's something, uh, what's something, uh, uh, simple, like, I don't know, like the advent of Bluetooth speakers. Now when I'm outside, like I use that thing, uh, mm. all the time. So Bluetooth, yes. you know, Bluetooth. So it's terrible answers. I'm sure. Got it. Uh, a particular brand or just random Bluetooth speakers? 
like oh, Sony, I, I think what mine's have you. Like, uh, mine's like J- JBL, I think. JBL. Got it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fourth question. Um, the most important revelations that you've had in the last couple of years. And uh, you've probably mentioned a couple already, but um, yeah. Our guests mention often things that are like very, very personal, very, very thoughtful when it comes down to like relationships, business, finance, health, travel. So speak about anything that comes to mind. Most important uh, revelations. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to the uh, to the to just the revelation around uh, relationships, how people are wired and things like this. I told you I'm about to celebrate my 20th anniversary. Okay. And you think after 20 years, like, well, you must, like, you must know something. You must be getting something right. You know, it's <laughs> I would a say battle. So. <laughs> it's a, yeah. But you know, it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle because I mean, relationships are hard. Like, you know, like you were talking earlier, if someone's not the right fit, like why waste time, like move on, but see when it's your marriage partner, like you've made a covenant with someone, it's like, no, like even though things have changed in your life and you've got new dynamics, like you got to work through that. And that's, that's very difficult. And see me and my wife, like we're very different people. I'm kind of this charismatic, you know, loose cannon, never know what I'm going to do. And she's more reserved and more thoughtful and, and, you know, needs time to think I'm articulate. She wants to think about it for a little while and, you know, opposites attract. And so early on in the relationship, you know, you love each other for those differences, but later on they can be very frustrating because you're wanting to, you know, get it done now. And she's wanting, anyway, I'm telling you in the last couple of years, me embracing the way that she's wired, and this goes for other relationships too, but I'm just going to use her as an example because it's the most meaningful relationship that I have embracing the way that she's wired. I find myself now, whereas used to, if she had a certain perspective, like I think, well, you know, okay, I hear what you're saying, but have you thought about this and see, and and it may start an argument or, you know, that sort of thing. And now I look at it and I say, you know what, babe, I completely understand why you see it that way. That's a completely valid perspective. I'm going to think about that for a little bit. Game changer, Hardy, like Hmm. looking at it that way has completely transformed our relationship. Like the level of harmony that we have, the ability to leverage each other's strengths and the differences of perspective we have. I didn't realize how long I've gone in life trying to change her into me. And she's trying to change me into her. And now we're learning to embrace the differences that we have. And so that, 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 that's, that, that'd be a big one right there. Last question. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Uh, We've definitely talked about this. Um, Yeah, number one, embrace the suffering. Uh, Again, affliction, uh, the furnace of affliction. It's our best best teacher. And if you embrace it, because see, one of two things, it can either kill you and you become bitter and you're never able to go on with life or you can embrace it allow yourself to be molded by it and then emerge the person that you were destined to be. So number one, embrace the, the suffering and uh, number two, stay humble, you know, stay humble. Um, Everyone, everyone likes a humble leader. Um, It gets old really fast when, when people, when people perceive that you think you're the greatest at everything. (laughs) And uh, again, uh, there's just, it's, It's very powerful, actually. It's very powerful to be around people 
who probably could say that they're the best in certain areas, but instead when they could be lifting themselves up, they choose airtime to lift other people up, man. That's such a powerful thing to me. So, I mean, Mm. so it's embrace suffering, stay humble. And when you think about saying something good about yourself, say something good about someone else instead, you'll be amazed at the impact. I should pay attention to that. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being so, so generous with your time, um, being so vulnerable, sharing your stories with us, holding nothing back here. Um, I'm sure that our listeners really uh, will enjoy this episode once it's, once it's live. So, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Appreciate it, man. Yeah.